East-West Draftcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff. This is East-West Draftcast. I'm supposed to say this is East-West Draftcast before I say my name. Already screwed up. Doesn't matter, because I'm back. We're back. Jeff, Greg, online. Say something. Getting the band back together. What's up, Jeff? Well, I'm f- podcasting for the first time in two months. I know. Welcome uh, back. It's it's good to have you uh, have your sweet, dulcet voice in my ear again. Yeah, I'm a, a little sick, so it sounds maybe a little off, but that's all good. The sexy um, Jeff voice. Oh, yeah. It's your lucky day, listener. That's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I am... You know, finally have a, a we we have at least a little something to talk about. Um, I haven't been playing a great deal of Magic lately. Uh, I still keep up on it because I'm a huge nerd a at work. But um, I uh, yeah, I, I've probably only drafted the current format. I don't know a handful of times. Um, so I don't have a huge amount of insight there. But we'll we'll, we'll delve into that a little bit today. Uh, but what we're really here to talk about today is there was yet another cube rotisserie draft on the west coast oh they're so much fun yeah um and although i am on the east coast in florida and i do not get to participate in this i spend uh, approximately about a week just talking to multiple people in these drafts brewing up decks with them and i even helped one of them day of drafting via text message so i do have things to say about this whole draft um but we wanted to talk about the draft specifically uh, and, and some, you know, general rotisserie drafting things um, and to just promote the format in general because it's a lot of fun. Um, it is a big commitment time-wise, so uh, know that going in. I, but. I really do think it's worth it, though. It's a totally unique magic experience, and whether you're, like, roto drafting a cube or even just like a pile of cards the the way you have to draft is so much different that it's it's a whole new game to learn it's just a whole new challenge i i really love it i think it's great and i will uh go out of my way to cube roto even though it takes so much extra time to kind of complete the draft portion and get to actually playing games yeah, I mean, you pretty much have to make a day of it, which is, I mean, fine for a lot of Magic players, because this tends to be your main hobby, which I hope it is, because it's a damn good one. Yeah. Uh, although, for me, I've barely been playing lately, so I should listen to my own advice. <laughs> anyway, um, so we wanted to start with a little bit of Born of the Gods uh, content, since we pretty much haven't talked about it at all. Yeah, um, no set review, no... Uh... <laughs> No statistical review. I think we we definitely need to make a point to get at least one of those in for um, Journey into Nyx, but uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, kind of a bummer that we don't have one for the previous, but oh, oh well. Uh, I mean, maybe if I get really bored at work, I'll, I'll do one retroactively so we can compare them, but <laughs> who knows. Um, but anyway, uh, we got to pick a card list because this is East-West Draftcast. And this is our flagship segment. This is what we do, people. Because uh, all of our other segments have been much worse than this one. <laughs> and, I mean, some of them are pretty good, but this one's definitely the, the crowd pleaser. Uh, and it's just the most solid. 
for those of you who maybe are jumping onto the podcast for the first time, I, I never intro this segment this way, but since I haven't podcasted in so long, uh, what Pick a Card is, is I'm going to put two cards up against each other. Greg's going to pick one of them, tell me why. I might throw in some <clears throat> info about what I think, and then I'm going to put the winner up against a new card, and we're going to go through the list. Um, so I'm just going to start this off. Uh, elite Skirmisher versus Sudden Storm. Remind me what the Elite Skirmisher does again. That is the 3 one for two colorless and a white. Um, these, these are both commons. And I, it's, I, uh, heroic tap a creature? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, at the beginning of the format, I would have taken the Skirmisher, but after having played it uh, a fair amount, I will definitely take the Sudden Storm there. Uh, the effect is very powerful in a format where most people are only kind of going in on one or two very big threats as opposed to like, I mean, it's, it's no blinding beam obviously, cause it only taps down two things uh, for, for a turn or a turn and a half, I guess where, I, but, but when you're you can effectively act as one, if they only have two guys, right. And that's often how this format boils, boils down is you, you get to a board state where there are only like one or two relevant cards on each side of the battlefield and sudden storm being able to take those, those two out, especially if they're all in on one and then they just have maybe a defensive creature uh, next to it, like a 1-4 uh, on the ground and like a giant Voltron Wingsteed Rider. Um, the Sudden Storm is very, very powerful in a board state like that because not only are you taking out their uh, their best threat, you're also taking out whatever their, their second best threat or probably their best blocker is uh, concurrently to allow you to get in with your, in theory, awesome threat, or um, as I've seen more in Born of the Gods Limited, uh, like an army of dudes, like a, a weenie swarm, as it were. So yeah, I'd, I'd take Sudden Storm. Now, do you think Blue has a kind of a tougher time getting that weenie storm happening? It does, but but again, it's like it's still good even if you're all in on one threat, uh, I think, so it that doesn't really factor into my decision too much like i'm not prioritizing okay. it because i i plan to draft like a, a weenie swarm i'm prioritizing it more for what it does to my opponent <clears throat> mm -hmm. yeah okay well this this might be one of those lists where you, you don't jump off this card for a long time or maybe even ever but uh sudden storm versus servant of timeret or timeret or I don't know how to pronounce that. Servant, that's word. the inspired guy that drains for one who has regenerate. Yeah, the one three yeah. for three. I like that card a lot, um, but at three mana, he's sort of replaceable. I, I almost always want one of those in my black deck, but I found that I don't really have a hard time acquiring them in the draft. So yeah, I'll stick with Sudden Storm. I think that's a, a more of a unique effect and just yeah, a little little harder to get your hands on in the draft. Yeah, I mean, regenerators are pretty impressive in the set, especially if they actually do something else besides just regenerate. So. Oh yeah, and I love just suiting that guy up with a bestow creature and going on offense too. Like he's he's just a sure. solid, solid creature. Um, I mean, color preference like might actually have me lean towards that card a little bit more than uh, the blue card in Sudden Storm, but I do think the power level of Sudden Storm is just a little bit higher. All right, Sudden Storm versus Nyxborn Rolliker. Uh, that's the red bestow red guy for 1-1. One, one. Red Nyxborn. Yeah, I 
think that guy has a place in the format, and he's definitely playable. I don't really like to draft decks where that guy is playable. That's not really <laughs> my wheelhouse. Um, I tend to go more for, like, raw power over, like, all-out synergy on cards like that. So, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with Sudden Storm. When I, uh, when I finally started drafting this format a little bit online, I went to my, my resident expert, Brian Hogan, and asked him what I should do to win. He just said, take, take the cheap red cards. Take the Boros, the Boros deck, yeah. Uh, not necessarily Boros, but just red plus another color. Uh, see, I actually... That, that isn't blue. But. I don't think red's that good. I think red is a lot better in Born of the Gods than it was in Theros, but that's that can be a problem in the sense that... You're, a lot of people are taking the card. Well, yeah, and, and just like, you feel like you're getting hooked up in pack one, and then you get to pack two... And maybe you you, re- you re-remember, like, oh, hey, uh, red isn't very good in this set. <laughs> I think that the nice thing is is that the first pack sets you up really well for a really aggressive strategy where, like, Dragon Mantles and... Um, Titan Strength. Yeah, those cards are really good. And so... For sure. It turns into, like... It's just an all-in aggro deck. And I don't know. I mean, I've drafted it three times, I think, and had... A little bit of success, like I, I like split in the finals of one and lost in the finals of another, and lost in round one of another. But yeah, we can I forget mean, about that one. It's it's definitely an awesome like it's it's a it's one of the pillars of the format. It's a really strong strategy. Just kind of the red. I, I think red white is typically the one you want, but I mean red green actually yeah, can it's... be good. Um, <clears throat> and I mean so can red black, but. I yeah I um I mean this will actually tie into our our cube rota discussion and how you feel about aggro in the cube versus how I feel about it like that mm-hmm. all in aggro style is not one I'd like to marry myself to unless like I feel like I'm really getting hooked up in the draft uh and yeah just I mean if you're talking about in the abstract pick one pack one sudden storm versus yeah. exporn rollicker I just want the sudden storm yeah it's probably not very close okay. Um, Sudden Storm versus Swordwise Centaur. Swordwise Centaur is the 3-2 for 2? Yeah. This is a case where, uh, color preference and kind of just, I think overall power level and just, like, generally, use, general usefulness makes me take the creature. Like, I'll take the 3-2 for 3. Um, that's good in any deck. I mean, you have to be kind of heavy green, but... That's not a bad thing in this format because once you get to Theros, green is like possibly the best color. It's one of the like oh, totally, three yeah. best colors in the format. Um, and yeah, I I I really like that guy. He's super efficient. Yeah, sets you up really well for um, devotion too. Yeah, no doubt. Um, cool. Uh, I think I would do the same thing also on the back of color preference. I've really not liked blue drafting blue all that much but blue was a lot better i think in triple theros yeah just one more pack of nimbus naiads uh, voyages ends and cryptides i mean the uh retraction helix is pretty good but it's just not on the same power level as those other bounce spells and just losing out on the naiad i mean you get a sweet bestow creature in the uh the two three nixborn guy yeah he's Probably one of the better Nyxborn. The Nyxborn Triton. I think he's probably the best, if not the second best, to the green one. Yeah. But, I mean, there you go. Like, that says enough right there. It's like the green one <laughs> The green one is also very good. So, I just as, I mean, just... Yeah, just might as well be green. Yeah, might as well be green. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's and, and that's just more of a uh, kind of staying open pick. Like like you said, the um, or like I was talking about earlier, the sudden storm. While it is like kind of good in the format and very versatile, uh, or I shouldn't say it's not. It's not very versatile. The three two for three is or the three two for two is very versatile. You know that that'll slot yeah, into any, go to green any green deck. Whereas the I mean, there will be blue decks where you'll want to cut your Sudden Storm. It, it's just going to happen. So, I, yeah, that's the card I'll take. All right, let's move on to some uncommons here. Um, so now we have said Swordwise Centaur versus Drown in Sorrow. Drown in Sorrow. Remind me what that does. That is the infest that scries. Ah, uh, yes. Um, that's tough. Because the Drown in Sorrow is just kind of a dead card in some matchups. Uh, yeah, but I think based on power level, I will take it. I, I it can okay. it can be very very good, like especially against those red and white based aggro decks that, again, are are, are pillar of the format. Like you're going to face those semi frequently, and it, it, if you have a card that just destroys that strategy, that can go a long way. Yeah, I mean the thing that's a big bummer about Drown and Sorrow is that there are quite a few playable aggro black cards. Yes, and you pick up like an early. I I did this. I mean, I took two drown and sorrows. Not early, but like, uh, like probably pick four and pick maybe six or something. And then I just got hooked up with better aggro cards, mm-hmm. and my drown and sorrows just sat in the board. Yeah. And I brought them in for a match, and they were decent. So yeah, but I think that's fine. That's just that's like a good problem to have, right? You're getting hooked up in a color. I mean, there's, there's just because it means like two of your earlier picks become worse. Like, I think that's okay because that means all your later picks are good. Yeah, it's just it's just a bummer that it can be just a straight up non bow for a deck. Totally, but there is a lot of there are a lot of black cards that it combos with very well, like the three three defender um, from Theros. Oh yeah. Or just even guy. yeah the the two three Minotaur Felhide Minotaur um, the the Servant of Timurat, which we talked about earlier. Like there are a lot of kind of ground stall cards in black as well um if you happen to get those instead of your uh flesh mad steeds and can't block minotaurs then i I think you're in a good spot okay uh drown in sorrow versus eternity snare uh drown in sorrow i've been really unimpressed with eternity snare it seems like it should be good like it's very powerful it replaces itself but the six mana is often just it's too much yeah, it's a lot, and um, I don't know. Have you found that like Sip of Hemlock is a better card? Oh, absolutely. Sip of Hemlock yeah. is much better. Uh, Even though it does a similar thing, right? It does a similar thing. It doesn't draw you the card, but it does deal two damage, which is like, like what, three quarters of a card, you know? Yeah. Um, and like the Eternity Snare just is it's more conditional. Like It doesn't do anything if the creature you want to deal with has Vigilance or it's just untapped already, you know? Yep. Like You have yep. to take a hit. And, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've been really displeased yeah, I mean, with Eternity Snare so far. The nice thing about the Snare is that it, it'll hit, like, a bunch of stuff if it's a big Voltron, but that's, I mean, the case is too narrow for it to warrant it. Yeah, against, like, a monstrosity creature, it, it does not It does the exact same thing as Sip of Hemlock. Totally. Yep. Um, all right, so this one's probably going to be an easy one for you, but Drown in Sorrow versus Glimpse the Sun God. Glimpse the Sun God is the pay X and a white to tap things down. Yeah. yeah, I will stick with the Drown and Sorrow. I think it's just inherently more powerful. If I mean, if yeah. I'm drafting the white red aggro deck, 
I mean, obviously, I, I want the yeah. white card. But even if Drown and Sorrow was like a white card or a red card, um, like if you ask me, Pyroclasm versus the X spell to tap dudes, and I'm playing an aggressive strategy, obviously, I want the the tap guys down spell. Sure, sure, sure. But uh, it's pretty narrow in its use, obviously. Yeah, no doubt. <clears throat> All right, uh, Drown and Sorrow versus Lightning Volley. Lightning Volley. Ooh. I thought I would like that card more. Yeah, um, it looks... Well, I mean, we had that card in uh, Ravnica, didn't we? With... Flame Fusillade? Yes. Yeah. That card was great in Ravnica, but everything was tiny in Ravnica. Yeah, it, it's like, if they printed this card in Rise of the Eldrazi, it would have been insane, and they printed it here, where like having a lot of creatures is something you typically don't want. Uh, yeah. It's like a super niche card. I think it's very cool, and it... it like plays a really interesting role in this format because there are some decks that do want to go like spread out in, in terms of creatures. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I mean the fact that drown in sorrow just completely hoses that deck <laughs> makes this pick. Well, the, the other funny thing is that lightning volley kind of hoses that deck too. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Uh, it's like, Oh, you got a bunch of one toughness guys. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll take the, the drown in sorrow. All right. Last one. Drown in Sorrow versus Nessian Demoloc. Nessian Demoloc is which card again? I don't know the names of these cards at all. <clears throat> uh, this is uh, the green guy. Three colors, two green for a 3-3. Three, three. He has tribute to... Oh yeah, blow up a non-creature yep. permanent. I will take that card. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty solid. That card's really good. Uh, it was really a big bummer to see that on turn five after I'd missed two land drops. <laughs> yeah, or just wait till you see it on turn four after a off of a like um, what's like that voyaging Seder or something? Yeah. Oh my god! Not, yeah, it's rough. It's not it's fair. Like, oh, I guess you get a five five. <laughs> I can't handle that. Yep. Start losing a land here. Yeah, uh, yeah, that guy's pretty pretty rough. Um, but uh, or is it a five five or a six six? No, it's I think just, it's a five five. Which is solid for five mana. Yes, it is. In this world we live in. Um, all right, well, that was the list. Yeah, so uh, before we get to the, the, the cube talk, um, you, you have been drafting this format more. I, I was worried that you might not. Do you have any, oh, I, any general, I will tell you, general thoughts on the on the format before we move oh, on? Oh, yeah, it's probably my least favorite since the last time I drafted a core set, whenever that was, years ago. Wow, really? I hate it. I mean, (laughs) I've been drafting it because it's magic, and I really want to play magic right now, because I just, I'm jonesing hard, but boy, do I just feel like the games are completely non-interactive. It's just like... Who gets their big guy online first? Yeah, it's just either that or like, oh, I guess you killed me before I got to do anything. Yeah, I can can see that. I mean... I, I would say that you're lucky you didn't play Theros, Triple Theros, because I feel like that format was even more like I mean, that. I played Triple Theros as much as I played this format. Really? I, did, I didn't like it either all that much. I mean, I liked it at first um, because I liked the versatility that Bestow Guys gave you. But then, like, I don't know. It, it Yeah, it became the same deal where it's just like, oh, I have the monster first. So I went. Yeah. But... Uh, I think I feel like just the removal removal is just so awful that I mean and and I guess they wanted it to be so that these big creatures are viable I guess but it's just it's just frustrating I mean they did that with um 
or somewhat with uh, Rise of the Eldrazi really well, like the way that their removal was kind of quote unquote bad in like I don't know, I'm blanking on names of cards, but like Vendetta was in there when the problem cards are like eight eights. Yeah, and they and they still had Flame Slash. You know, there were still some, True, some really yeah. good ones. It was just there was less of it. Um, right, and this one we get bolts of whatever that costs. <laughs> it's just. Like, I read that card, and I feel like I'm getting slapped in the face as hard as I can. Like, it's it's just like, you're telling me I have to pay two red instead of the normal one red I get for three damage. And, and it, the total converted mana cost is three for three damage, which is sometimes happening. But you're making it a sorcery on me, and it's just like, <laughs> why would you do that? Like, wh- why are you such an asshole? Yeah, uh, like, it's uh, it's definitely rough. The removal is really bad. And the car, and the sad thing is, is that card is totally fine. It's that card's like really pretty, good. <laughs> pretty great card, yeah. And it's like the fact that it's good makes me want to vomit in my mouth. Yeah, I I think the thing that Rise did a little bit better was instead of like making the removal inherently bad, they made the removal like kind of lackluster compared to what the format was doing in terms of creatures. Like you said, totally. like Vendetta existed in a world where you were going to take a lot of damage to kill something important. Um, and Flame Slash existed, a cheap, like, awesome creature removal spell in a format where there were a lot of really big things that it just couldn't kill anyway. Um, right, and then and then they had, like, the really bad removal, uh, which is, like, guard duty, become actually pretty decent because you're, you're making an 8-8 not be able to attack you and... You're playing flyers anyway, so who cares? Right, and they kind of they struck that balance a little bit better as far as like the removal as it related to the threats. In this format, it just feels like it's all about timing. It's all about like the removal coming online before your guys' threat oh gets God. huge. Yeah, like the there's there's no worse card in this format than the five mana four damage card in Theros. Oh yeah, it's Rage of Perforos. The, Biggest heartbreak yeah. ever. That card is like you just stare at it in your hand. You're like, all right, I'm gonna get there in two turns. I'm gonna kill this threat that's destroying me right now, and now I'm gonna be all good because they're putting all their stuff into it. And then by the time you get there, you're like, yep, it's got five toughness. Yeah. All right. That's it's basically. A, I mean, at least lash. Of, <laughs> at least lash of the whip turns it into a one-one during combat or whatever. Like at least it can do that, and and lash of the whip is fine just because of that fact. Yeah, but but it still but, feels way overcosted for for the effect you get in this format. Totally, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I I find that challenging, and I guess the reason I don't dislike the format because of because of these factors is because I enjoy like searching for what what becomes the good removal essentially, which is bounce and death touch. Yeah. you know, and. Mm. At first, I was prioritizing that stuff over everybody in Triple Theros, and I felt like such a master. And then, you know, people catch on, and and that once like everything levels out, you get to this point where the games get just like kind of stale and swingy, and you're like, ah, uh, this isn't interactive as much as I want it to be. And yeah, I, I can see the critique for sure. I'm definitely enjoying it more since the addition of Born of the Gods, uh, but I mean all of your criticisms are, are pretty valid in terms of like being an experienced drafter and looking at a quote-unquote expert-level set that's basically like a core set with awful removal. Yeah. Oh, man. It feels very corset-y. Yeah. Like, about as coarse... I guess the last awful format was Avacyn Restored. That that was maybe worse than this. 
But um, but those both, I mean, that felt like a course at draft, and so does this. And at least Avenson Restored felt like it had more synergies in it. Oh, it totally but, did. The difference, the thing, the thing I like more about this format than Avenson Restored, and you know me, I'm an Avenson Restored apologist. Like I thought that format was fine. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, this one at least has pretty good color balance, where all the colors are at least playable. And any and most of the color combinations are playable, whereas there's no black. Yeah, there was just no reason to play black in Avicen Restored, like none whatsoever. <laughs> like if you, if you were, you were like, if you had a great black deck, nice two one record, buddy. Yeah, and often just a one two. You're like, oh this, yeah, this deck is so sweet. I have all the black cards, all the good ones, and I'm still losing. This is terrible. <laughs> but yeah, I, I again though, like I think that that is interesting to me and that's why I, I don't mind formats like that every once in a while. Um, and I, but I would much rather have a format like this where you just have more possibilities, essentially like more, more things you can do and therefore more like avenues to, to drafting. Yeah. You never want a color that's just unplayable. That's I think, yeah, it's pretty bad for the format, but yeah. Anyway, let's get to a format where all the colors are playable. Cube. Hells. Yeah. So, to review what a cube rotisserie draft is for someone who may not know what that is, uh, you lay out every card in the cube face up. And we are using a powered cube. This is a, a personal list of ours, like uh, Jeff, myself, uh, my brother Russell, and our friend Spencer kind of curate the list uh, with some input from some other people. And uh, it's gotten to a pretty cool place. There's definitely room for improvement, but... Um, most of the standard power cube cards are in here. Like we have the power nine minus uh, time twister. We have basically all the other busted things you you would want to do in a cube. Um, and once you lay all the cards face up, you determine a draft order and you just go around picking whatever card you want from the entire pool. Uh, and you do this in a snake draft fashion. Uh, I will post a link in the show notes to the spreadsheet of the draft. Uh, we recorded. Most of the picks, somebody, some of these guys, uh, four people, it looks like, didn't get all their picks entered into uh, the spreadsheet. But with that said, like most of the picks are here, and most of the stuff that's really interesting happens within like the first 15 to 20 rounds. Uh, we drafted 40 cards each, and after the draft, we split up into teams of six. There were 12 of us. Um, did deck construction together, and then we played out as many matches as possible, hopefully playing six matches, like playing everybody on the other team. Uh, so it was an all-day magic event. It's it's a lot of fun, a lot of time, uh, a lot of snacking and, and alcohol consumption goes on during this. So uh, you get to see some some dumb picks, some uh, <laughs> some hilarious plays, and uh, in general, it's 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 awesome. But we're gonna dive into it. We're gonna kind of talk about the draft in general and uh, the the format in general, along with some uh, specific. Uh, uh, conversation to be had so where, where do you want to start jeff i want to start by asking how uh boland ended up with 41 cards yeah that's a good question i actually don't think that careful consideration at the bottom of his column was in his, was his pick i think that was either ryan's pick or dan's pick uh okay but i can't i don't know it's possible he drafted an extra card and you know what a bastard i know the thing is is like he ended up with a winning record too yeah he was four and one but um it doesn't really matter, I think, in in the sense that like if he were a like a heavy land multicolored deck, it would make more sense. Yeah, to that would matter yeah. because then you'd be getting a sideboard card. But like, 
or, or maybe even a card for your main deck. But that late in the draft being monocolor, you're probably not picking anything that's going to make your main deck over what you've already taken. Uh, totally. So, all right, where, where do you want to go after that? <laughs> uh, well, um, I guess uh, let's just start by talking about um, the, the fact that uh, you did a little tricksy thing with Ryan in the beginning of the draft um, where you guys swapped picks for one, or for two rounds, actually. Oh, yeah, uh, okay. Um, um, which is kind of like a fantasy football thing that you would... I don't know. Totally. And I'm pretty sure I got the wrong end of this bargain. Yeah, I mean, for your deck, it was fine, but overall, Ryan obviously got much more powerful cards. Yes. And Anyway. So let me explain what happened. So I drew the first overall pick, and the last, I think, three times we've done this, I have drafted within the top three uh, of the draft. And while you might think, oh, that's great, you get basically one of the three best cards in the cube every time it kind of locks you into certain types of decks, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And I had the feeling that I wanted to draft like a creature-based deck this time around, and most of the first three picks, which are pretty universally respected in our circle as Soul Ring, Black Lotus, and Ancestral Recall in some order, um, most of those cards either go in control decks or combo decks, and I wanted to draft kind of a creature-based deck. Or mid-range. Or, or yeah, mid-range. And... On t- like kind of coupling that with the fact that like coupling the fact that I wanted to draft creatures with the fact that I was kind of tired of just picking those three cards, I offered to to drop down in the first round uh, to gain uh, an extra pick in like the fourth round. Um, I didn't shop this around to anybody really. I kind of threw it out there, and Ryan was the only one who said, "Yeah, I'll trade up to the first pick because he really wanted Soul Ring, and why wouldn't you?" Um, <laughs> Uh, so I Good said, he's, he's like, so what do you want? And I'm like, well, how about, and I didn't think about it much. I said, well, how about you give me your fourth round pick? So I have two picks in the fourth round and I give you my fifth round pick. So I don't have any in the, in the fifth and he has two. Um, yeah, I think, and I, I should have just taken that fifth round pick that I gave him and moved that down one or two rounds. I think well more than one or two. Really? I mean, cause truthfully, well, I feel like there's a drop off in card quality at, so so I think there's a big drop-off in card quality after the top three cards. Like, I think those cards are better than any Magic card ever. Yeah. And they're just super crazy good. Uh, Moxin are awesome, too, but they're not... They don't do nearly as busted things as those three cards do. Yeah. Um, so there's a jump-off there, and then I think the next jump-off, like, is fairly far down the line. Like, probably pick seven. I guess that's two picks down the line. Uh, or, I mean, round seven. Round um, well, I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking. Is, is yeah, what I should have yeah, done is given him my sixth or seventh round pick there. Um, and and because I was at the first spot overall, that means after the first round, I would always get two picks in a row, um, which in roto is really nice, actually. I yeah, mean, it's super good. There's yeah. a lot of picks that go between your picks, like uh, the long way. But when you get two in a row, you really get to kind of like lock in on certain strategies, and uh, you can cut stuff off pretty hard. Like, just for example, like, after round uh, three, or no, not after round three, like, let's look at round six and seven, like, one of the picks I, I sh- probably should have given Ryan instead of my fifth pick. Like, I just mm-hmm. got to scoop up Arid Mesa and Wooded Foothills back-to-back, you know? Yeah. And while they awesome. might, that might not, not, that may not seem super exciting, I'm taking Fetchlands, for the deck I was trying to draft, it was really important for me to be able to get both of those cards back-to-back 
with nobody else even getting a chance to take one of them, you know, because uh, they were both so important to my strategy. And at that point, like I'm making it clear, like, hey, look, I'm going to take fetch lands and I've got two of them already. If fetch lands were part of your plan, one, you either need to start taking them right now or two, you just need to leave them alone and let them start coming back to me. Right. And yeah, that kind of strategy comes into play when you're drafting it. One of the bookends uh, of the draft order. Right. And it really did like make a very bold statement, especially, I mean, it ended up being really important for Greg's draft because um, it turned out that another drafter in uh, here was trying, wanted, came in wanting to draft the exact same deck as Greg. Yeah, and, and, and another one was drafting even, like, a, an, another similar deck in uh, John mm-hmm. John's deck. Right, and so when, he, when Greg took those, like, Greg had taken essentially what looked like mono-red cards, especially because of the Vortex and Goblin Guide, um, with a with a Mox Emerald in there, and then just went for two fetch lands that um, basically says either like I really value thinning my deck in mono red, which is crazy. I don't think that's or, crazy at all. Actually, I think that that is viable. Ugh, I don't know if you, I don't like know if you, six and seven. Yeah, I don't know if that's you pick them that high, crazy. but I think it's a very important tool to the mono red deck if you can get those cards. It depends, but. Uh, Anyway, it, it most likely says, hey, I'm drafting more than just red here. And if you're doing that and you're being aggressive and the cards you took were Arid Mesa Wood Foothills, you're probably doing some kind of zoo thing, which is what Alex wanted to do. I really want Wild Nakata later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, it was one of those things where I was... So Alex, uh, the other person who wanted to draft zoo, was my Padawan during this uh, whole draft <laughs> thing that I was... I helped him build the deck list, um, and then I, I helped him draft a little bit on the day, texting him and stuff when he asked questions or what have you. And I was I was watching the draft as it went on the spreadsheet. Um, although by this point, this spreadsheet didn't exist, yeah. So I didn't really know what was happening. He was kind of filling me in. He was like, "Oh, there's a lot of control happening. A lot of people are taking control cards." I was like, "Well, that's good for you." Um, <laughs> and uh, and then he goes. Fetchlands are starting to go. I need to start now. And I was like, oh, you're right. What has been taken? And he's like, Greg took two. I think he might be doing the same thing as me. <laughs> and I was like, what are his other picks? He's like, you know, tells me, like, mono red cards. I'm like, you need to abandon <laughs> Zoo <laughs> because this is going to be bad. Like, fight, like Zoo is a, a fine strategy, but it does not support two people. No, mostly because um, of the lands. Totally, exactly. And it was one of those things. He was like, he took two fetch lands in the colors. I'm going to start taking. I'm like, okay, well, take a fetch land, sure. And he was really smart and took the... the he's only taken green-white cards. He took the green-white fetch, and when it came back around, he took the green-white duel. And so he didn't jump in to, to Zoo until like he let Greg touch the waters a little further. When Greg took Plateau Stumping Ground right away, it was just 100% like, I can't get the lands to support this. I have to abandon it. Yeah, because Taiga also went right there uh, to the red-green drafter. Exactly, yeah. So it was, um, yeah, I mean, I really was pretty happy with how Alex ended up doing his, the first few rounds of his draft, I think were just beautiful and perfect for what he was going for because it, it allowed him to audible really well when something like what exactly happened happened. Yeah. And, um and meanwhile, it, the way that my draft, draft shook out worked out really well for me. Like, I, st- I left myself open to be mono-red, but once those lands got to me and I realized I could kind of load up on them and 
spoiler alert, from round six to round 11, all I did was take lands. Yeah, um, and that's what you have to do if you want to be Zoo. Yeah, and... Because you have to get the lands for the deck to work. And with one other player prioritizing drafting all the other uh, mana fixing, like dual lands and fetches, uh, Brian with like a four-color mid-range deck, basically no one else got dual lands. It was really weird. I've never seen a draft <laughs> break out this way. Um, I've never seen the lands be prioritized this highly in a uh, roto draft, and it was really fun to see how that shaped the draft because... It, it put a lot of people into mono color or heavy one color, right? Mm-hmm. And on top of that, the fact that Brian and I weren't taking like actual spells in those rounds, basically from round five to round eleven, mm-hmm. it made the other decks like who were mostly monocolored really streamlined. Uh, so like a lot of the a lot of the cards that they got were just really on point with their plan, and a lot of the decks just ended up being really good. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, um, like, like one of the deck, or, I mean, a deck that I would like to talk about, which I also helped uh, put together at least, at least a little bit. It was all Spencer's idea, but uh, Spencer's deck, um, and he got pretty lucky in that he got uh, his Blood Crypt in round 20. Yes. Um, because everybody took lands super high, but luckily nobody really cared about Black Red all that much. Well, it's, um, especially because at, at that point, like after a certain point, Brian and I had all the fixing we needed, really. Right. And so it was just like, all right, whatever you, whatever's left, you guys can, you guys can have it, you know. Right. I mean, like Badlands went round nine and Blood Crypt went round twenty, <laughs> so there was a big jump there. Um, but yeah, so and he ended up with Lava Claw Reaches as well. But I mean, Spencer's deck was really hard on the mana for being two color because. He was playing a deck that featured Strip Mine, Wasteland, um, and like him to Torax Sinkhole and, plus red cards. And Dust, <laughs> Dust Bowl, Volrath Stronghold, and Mishra's yeah. Factory. And, and he wanted to play his red cards too. And to do that, you need some mana fixing pretty bad. Um, and and all, all of his cards are really cheap. Uh, and yeah, his deck was like, it was really fun to brew together. Um, and he said that it was pretty good but but uh Can, let's, there was some let's just talk about his it. deck because i know you helped him brew this and i ended up on his team so i got to help him build it and just like i was looking at the cards that he had drafted and while i understand like the point of draft like what he was trying to do i just want to know whether you think this was a worthwhile deck to draft like do you think this deck is good okay let me start by saying that the idea behind this deck was uh, to test to test the hypothesis of whether it is good. I I, which, I know that, but that's what I'm saying is like after the fact, having seen how the deck kind of turned out, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a viable deck. Um, I don't know how doable it would be in a non-roto situation. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, the case with most of these decks, though. Like Zoo is pretty much impossible to draft in a like in a normal eight man. It's really hard. Um, poor, poor Wild McConnell never gets to see any play. With that said, I I look at what Spencer did here, and I and I'm like seeing what he was going for. And let's talk about what he was doing. He was basically playing a black red resource denial deck, so like a lot of land destruction and hand destruction, with right. with some like cheap efficient cards to go with that, because he knew he was going to be blowing up his own wasteland, his own strip mine to destroy his opponent's lands. 
And so he was playing cards like Ankh of Mishra, uh, Bitter Blossom, Dark Confidant to kind of see more cards uh, and kind of gain that card advantage while also <clears throat> denying opponents resources. Um, I just don't think he needed red as a support color. Like, I understand you get extra, like, land destruction that way, but uh-huh. I think, like, it's almost like the fact that he took him to Torach and, like, uh, Wasteland. No, he didn't take Wasteland ahead of Mind Twist, but him to Torak over Mind Twist, I think it's just a mistake. Like, do you okay. do you agree or disagree with that? I uh, I agree on in a vacuum. Yeah, I, I would say that Spencer drafted this deck with just completely ignoring any real drafting advice I gave him. We built the deck idea together. He will would not listen to anything I had to say. About. That's not true. Uh, we went through the pick order together, and uh, I disagreed with a lot of his choices. Um, but you know, he he does his own thing, and right. And, well, I, yeah, I guess... but so so basically, I, I didn't. I definitely didn't think he needed to take strip mine first. No, um, definitely not. If anything, I think you just and, take or him, mana I, crypt. I was thinking like him to Torak would be like round ten. No, totally. Uh, and that's the point I'm making, is he, he could have had Mind Twist there, or Demonic Tutor, and instead he took a card that I'm pretty sure would have been there, even in round, like, like round five, I think it still would have been there, at least. And you could take it there and totally justify it. I just think as a second round sure. pick, like, I understand he wanted to stake his claim, and that technically him to Tarach is more mana efficient than Mind Twist, but mm-hmm. on power level alone, I would have rather see him go Mana Crypt, Mind Twist with his first two picks, than Strip Mine, him to Tarach. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, so the idea behind the deck, or I, I think we, me and Spencer had slightly different ideas behind what, what we wanted to do with the deck. Um, and Spencer's direction was like de- denial, denial, denial. Like resource denial in terms of mana denial and, and card in hand denial. And that's, that's like it. That's all he cared about. Um, and he kind of based it off small box, right? Yes. Yeah kind of what small box does and all skills creatures but um and so he didn't care so much about how he was killing the opponent um he more cared about how he was denying them and i felt like the the cards like so cards like him to torax sinkhole um dark confidant these are cards that are very niche like most decks don't want them. Everyone's frightened of Dark Confidant. He always tables in eight-man drafts, which always seems insane, but it's true. I mean, everyone plays giant spells in their cube decks. So, um, But his deck was going to really benefit from a card like that. But he's like, but I really want it, so I really want to take it right away. And I think that the important thing about Rotisserie Draft is... You're going to want to fight over cards that everybody wants. Yeah, the elite spells. And and truthfully, and how I like to do every draft, not just Roto, is you want to take cards in the beginning that that are really good for your deck, but really good for everybody's deck, and also cards that allow you to to change, to, to audible, if, if someone takes him to Torak round two like a crazy person. I mean, like, if someone does that, you're like, oh, okay. New plan, right? Uh, and that's fine. Um, and Spencer had an audible plan after his... His audible plan was, if Strip Mine doesn't get to me, I'm going to change my deck. <laughs> and it's like, come on. Like, before... Like, that would be 
before all the moxes are taken. That's he, just insane. He picked it over Mox Sapphire. Yes, he did. Um, and he was going to pick it over a, a Mox Jet. Like, he was and that... That's insanity. It is insanity. I, I 100% agree, but Spencer was like, I have to draft this deck, and it without Strip Mine, it doesn't work. It's like, okay, well, okay. See, I don't even know if that's correct, though. I, I think... I, I don't... I don't know if it's correct either. But anyway, he had this whole idea of, like, resource denial, most important, strip mine's best resource denial card printed ever. So pick pick one. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the idea behind the deck uh, for me was a more of a aggro deck, kind of, with, with a few cheap, efficient threats, um, like Bitter Blossom and Dark Confidant, which he took early. Um uh, which I think were very important for the deck, but uh, I mean, you like uh, some cheap red threats too, the ones that are that are efficient and just solid, which he didn't get any of. All the ones that ended up in my deck in John's yes. deck. <laughs> yes, those exactly. are the ones. Yeah. yeah. So like, uh, basically making it so you're able to deny them mana for like the deck works up into a point, right? Like you're able to deny them mana for a little while. But eventually they're going to get the mana if you let them live. And Spencer's deck didn't have a whole ton of cards that didn't let them live. Like, yeah. and uh, like the big the big finishers were going to be like Abyssal Persecutor and um, Desecration Demon. Um, but that would be the most expensive card in the deck, and only those. And everything else were gonna, was going to cost one or two mana, um, and then like maybe three mana cards would you know, be destroying lands or whatever, doing some other powerful things. Yeah, I mean, I like the deck's theory, and I do think that there's a deck here, and and one thing I'll give Spencer huge credit for is identifying the fact that he needed some kind of, uh, what's the word I want to use, like, interesting win conditions like Lava Claw Reaches. Like, that's a card that Mm -hmm. pretty much no one wants, but it's really good in this style of deck, because it doesn't require you to play a spell, it costs zero you can bring it back with crucible of worlds if it somehow dies and Uh it's like going to be like you know it's going to get around most removal uh and yeah it's just a perfect inclusion in this deck and he took it highly and that's smart i guess what i what i struggle with when i look at this deck more than anything is i look at the red cards that he took early i look at chain lightning and incinerate which are the first two red cards he took chain lightning was in round five incinerate was in round nine and I honestly think that those cards just like while they're fine in this deck because they're cheap removal or cheap like to the face burn, they don't do much here. They're not super important to the theme. And I think that those picks would be better spent on like honestly maybe like some green ramp to go with the black. And like so you kind of combo your black resource denial with getting ahead on mana in green or maybe uh, like. White, yeah, white cards. I don't know. Like, like uh, I don't. I'm not saying Armageddon was available there, but I'd almost rather see like an Armageddon or Balance in this deck than one of those cards. Like Balance was taken after the Chain Lightning, and yeah, we talked about um, playing Balance instead of the Red idea. That was definitely a big question. We decided that Red supported the deck better. Okay, yeah, I just don't know but, if it does. I think like the Black Green version of this deck is probably better. I don't like that idea because I mean. The the idea behind Strip Mine, Wasteland, and the Smallpox, which is the 
kind of the deck's kind of based on, you're killing your own lands. So if you're killing your own lands and playing like ramp at the same time, you're just staying at parity. You're not like you're not getting anything great out. You're getting out stuff that you would normally get out at that time. I think the better way to go is just to play like a one mana threat and then make them it so they can't play anything. And if they do, you know, have some kind of cheap answer. Um, where like I I see like pick six chain lightning probably doing about the same thing as his pick 38 vendetta yes which is yeah i mean there you see the pair like the problem there it's like well these cards are functionally functioning at the exact same role and you took one round five and one round 38 so like obviously there's some issues in in pick order and, and cards that he cares about um i mean i think it just worried him because like you know, Lightning Bolt went round three, as it should, um, at least. I fucking love that card. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but yeah, so it's probably scared him. He's like, oh, I'm not going to get any cheap burn. And so, you know, he just wanted to jump on Chain Lightning right away. Yeah, I, I uh, guess what the point I'm trying to make is I don't know how important cheap burn is to this deck. I think... Right, and it's... Yeah, it's, I mean, in, in the version that I want to play, it's, be- it's better. <laughs> because I wanted more threats, more cheap threats. Yeah, I think he went too heavy on the resource denial. Yeah, but. I I don't know. I I mean I I actually really like this style of deck, like a, a Punisher deck, like a deck that just uh, for all intents and purposes makes it very unfun for your opponent. Like, and not unfun yeah. in the way where like you're doing something like oh, impossible to deal with. Like you're not playing Progenitus on turn two. You're just not letting them do anything. <laughs> yeah, they you don't know? get to play Magic. Yeah, they don't get to play Magic at all, and that's like it's. I hate to say it, it's just a really satisfying way to win a game. <laughs> if it's Man. like if you're uh, if you're thought seizing them turn one, hemming them on turn two, and then like destroying their land on turn three, like it, there's not much that feels better than that. And it does feel great. I you're just, it's just the pure frustration. Yeah, on the part. I just yeah, I don't know. It's like I feel like there's a deck here, and maybe it's just that it this when I look at this list, it's not. It doesn't seem powerful enough relative to the other decks that got drafted. And I feel like we've been talking about Spencer's deck long enough. We should mention what other people drafted as well. Sure, sure. So uh, we're talking about my zoo deck. Uh, John had a... Uh, he started off in, in red-green and ended up just playing mono-red. Um, I don't know if that yeah. was necessarily correct, but I think it was fine. Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole ton to say about his deck. He did hack Kurt Ape pick nine i bet you were like what the fuck yeah <laughs> no the, actually the one that really got me and pissed me off was when he took boros reckoner when i was literally the only red white drafter at the table you know and yeah, and well, he was he was in green at that point right he was heavier red but i was like man are you even gonna cast that card the weirdest part is like it seems like that pick is he's just like all right screw green it's not happening yeah but then he picked the great sable stack right after it yeah you're like oh so he hasn't abandoned it I know. I don't know what's happening here. I, I but uh, yeah, John, John's a weird guy. <laughs> uh, we can we can talk about Plow Under in the third round here. Um, Plow Under is a very powerful magic card, but uh, this kind of illustrates one of I think the like most common pitfalls of roto drafting is if you've done this a few times and you see like the deck where Plow Under is excellent and you get beat by that deck, which I'm pretty yeah. sure I did to John the last time we did this. Like, sure. where I was, like, plowing him under, eternal witnessing plow. It's a very memorable loss, because 
yeah, it's like what we were talking about before. You don't get to play magic. It's that it's that feel bad loss, and I just I don't know. I think I plowed him under a few too many times last time, where he was like, "That's not happening again." I'm going to be doing the plow under this time, so I'll just take it in the third round. You know? Yeah. And I mean, no disrespect to John, like I think that 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 you could even defend a plow under in the third round if that's your strategy. But the deck as it shaped up after that didn't really make a whole lot of sense for the for the plow under pick in round three. Totally. Um, yeah. And it, go ahead. Um, and it, it's like, especially if he was planning to uh, take red cards too, um, because you had just taken lightning bolt and and sulfuric vortex. Oh no! That, oh no! That's that the next round. I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you had just taken lightning bolt, so he, and, and so he knows immediately that you're going to be taking red cards. Um, so like a card like sulfuric vortex uh might have been a much better pick if he knew he was like i want to be aggro red green uh sulfuric vortex possibly the best card in that deck right yeah so like maybe think about that instead of the plow under which is would be a solid card in that deck but but it wouldn't be sulfuric vortex yeah i think i took the first two red cards in the draft uh lightning bolt at the beginning of the third round and then uh, goblin vortex. guide with the well the vortex was in four right well no but remember i had ryan's pick in the fourth round and that was where i took goblin oh guide. yeah yeah yeah. okay so um and then like so at that point like i'm the mono red drafter right mm-hmm. yeah so i i mean i thought i staked a pretty big claim to that so i was pretty surprised when uh you took grim lava mancer no, I mean, that didn't really surprise me in the sense that that didn't really, like, it wasn't really a card that I cared about, um, especially because I knew I kind of wanted to do a multicolored aggro deck, not just a mono-red deck. The, sure. the Chain Lightning pick by Spencer was the one that surprised me the most. But, again, it's not like Chain Lightning in the fifth round is indefensible. <clears throat> like, that's an excellent magic card. It's, like, almost as good as Lightning Bolt, and it probably deserves to go within the first five to seven rounds. So, yeah, yeah I mean... Uh, but the fact that I was the only one in there for a, a really long time, actually, was, um, I mean, it's interesting. It goes to speak a little bit about, like, red in our cube and how narrow its focus tends to be. It's like either you're all in on aggro or you're, like, using it as some, like, weird land destruction support color like uh, Spencer did. Um, mm-hmm. We had one other primary drafter in red besides me, John, and Spencer, and that was Tristan drafting uh, like a red blue control deck. And you should talk about deck. this because this is your favorite archetype in the cube. Yeah, by like a mile. Um, yeah, so he drafted blue red control. Um, he actually went a pretty different direction than I. I go with my blue red control decks in that he had kind of a lot of. Uh, tap out type cards um like well i mean he started with jace the mind sculptor which is a card that is obviously great in any blue deck uh but if i was drafting blue red it would not be in my it would not be my top pick and i don't know if he planned to be blue red at the start it didn't look like it really it looked like he was just going mono blue he didn't and he was mono blue until the 11th round and then in the 12th round he took celestial colonnade so that tells me he was actually thinking about getting into like a blue white a blue white control deck and then at that point, he kind of reevaluated the landscape of what was being underdrafted yeah. and overdrafted. And no surprise, red was the least drafted <clears throat> color at that point. He decided to get into red instead. Yeah, but later he goes and takes, like, Compulsive Research, Chase Architect of Thought, Take Possession, Deep Analysis, Maloku, all these tap-out cards. 
Um, he took some instant speed stuff, some instant speed burn, um, and I mean he had an early mana drain, which is like that's a pretty sweet start. Jason Mind Sculpture mana drain, but uh, <laughs> into Shackles Treachery too. Like that's yeah, that's a mono Jesus. blue deck in the in the making right there. Yeah, and he was fighting Boland tooth and nail right at the, be- at the beginning there. Yep. But um, but yeah, so uh, so that's not the typical way that that I play blue red, and and I don't think it's the typical way to. That that its power is shown because uh, the nice thing about blue and red is that they're the two colors that have the most instants and um, powerful instants at that. I mean, uh, blue has all the permission, and permission is some of the most powerful cards in Magic. Um, like uh, I don't know which round um, Force of Will went. Oh, there it is, round six. But uh, Force of Will, like a super important card for a blue-red deck, uh, in my opinion. And um, I guess it's it's just as important for Tap Out, but anyway. Yeah, uh, I think it's probably more important for Tap Out, and I also think it's a little <clears throat> overrated in Cube. But that, that's a different discussion, we don't have to get into that. But, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, the, the, the deck is nice because you're able to um, only do things on your opponent's turn. You get full information every turn. And uh, and you're you're really good against aggressive decks because uh, yours you have a lot of cheap removal spells, which is what burn is. Um, and the most amazing thing about blue red is that you don't need any creatures to win. You don't need any planeswalkers either. Uh, you tend to win off of burn spells just pretty much completely. And, like, it sounds like that's insane. Each burn spell only deals two to three damage. Um, But there are important burn spells that you need. Uh, You need at least one X spell. I mean, Devil's Play is the the king of those. And, um, and, like, the the cards add up pretty fast, though. Like, Prophetic Bolt is a big one. Um, That's four damage. And, And, like, these things add up really fast, and you get a few, like... If you can get like a man land in there or things like that that can just ping away a little bit of damage, it's just this this type of control game. I mean, it's very much a draw go control game where you're just doing these like uh, I don't know, like you're you're doing these little tiny things every turn that are just keeping the game on in your control. <laughs> it's a control deck. Uh, anyway, it's not what he did. Um, but uh, it's a really sweet deck because you have the really good blue control cards and the really cheap red answers. And, yeah, I, I just love the, the combination of the two. Yeah, so, I mean, speaking of a deck like that, we could look at Bolin's deck, and he is uh, he's strictly mono-blue. Um, yeah, and he's much more... He has the of types of cards permission. you're talking about. He started yes. off with Ancestral Recall, Vendillion Click, Snapcaster Mage, so it's like... Yeah, right, it's just beautiful. Right away just you know... Love. And I think this is actually the right way to do it, um, yeah. is to not necessarily focus on the force of will and the counter spell, but rather get the like the unique the unique stuff. blue cards that you can't that don't do or that do what all the other blue cards don't do. Like click and snapcaster in particular are both win conditions in the sense that they're gonna gain you some advantage with just like the spells that they that kind of come attached to their bodies essentially. Uh, mm-hmm. And but yeah. they're also going to leave behind something to kind of get in there, like click especially, just a three one flyer. I mean, so, while it's easy to kill, at the same time, it's like if you have all the permission and you're casting click at instant speed on their end step, 
Like, you very well might just have a counterspell for every removal spell they point at the click. And if they're doing that, then they're just slowly getting bashed away by this 3-1 in the air without developing their board. Um, And so I think it it is justifiable to take that card in the second round. Uh, Yeah, I... Vendillion Click is probably... I mean, it's a super high pick in the blue-red deck because, I mean, they, the only creatures you want are the ones that, are, that have flash. And so Click, Mage, and uh, Vents are the like, cream of the crop. Yep. And they're amazing. And um, kind of going down the list, he started to get into more of the permission and uh, control magic use stuff after that. He did take a batter skull in round four, which was very handy in, in defeating me when we played. Um, he, oh, yeah. like, batter skull, life gain, vigilance is just... It's like a slap in the face to any aggro deck, you know? That card's just super, super powerful. And the fact that it lasts till the fourth round in this draft is pretty incredible to me. Yeah, especially because there were... I feel like there were an obvious, like, five aggro drafters at the start. Yes, and there were multiple swords taken before it. I think three or four swords got taken before the Batterskull did. And I'm pretty sure Batterskull is better than all of them, except for maybe... Sword of Fire and Ice, and I, I think you can make an argument yeah. for Sword of War and Peace if you are a dedicated, aggressive deck, which Alex thought right. he was at the time. But yep. that was his plan was to be Zoo. Yeah, so. I think the only equipment that like I think deserves to be like definitely taken over everything is GTA, and it was so that's fine. Um, but yeah, Batter School in the fourth round is a really, really sweet value. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, it was yeah, like Counterspell, <laughs> Bribery, Cryptic, Command, Miscalculation, Control, Man. Control Magic, Mana Leak, Sower of Temptation, Dismiss, Force Spike, which is so awesome, super important I in, in the modern I want to give Boland a huge high five for that pick. Yeah. That's like my favorite pick of the entire I draft. mean, we talk about unique effects and how unique effects are very important in this format because the, re- oh, the replaceable yeah. stuff like Chain Lightning, Lightning Bolt, Incinerate, like, well, well Lightning Bolt is, is unique. There are other burn spells, right? There are no other counter spells besides Force of Will that you can cast with only one land open. I mean, there's Spell Pierce, but... We have Spell Pierce, yeah, yeah. That's, but that's more narrow. And, and he ended up with Spell Pierce, too, so it's like... Yep. <laughs> like, the fact is that, like, this this deck came together pretty much perfectly. If you were drafting a mono-blue deck, this is what it looks like, and I, you have to fucking applaud him for it, because usually these cards are fought over a little more heavily in, a, in our Roto drafts, but... For whatever reason, there were only two people who really wanted to fight over the blue permission spells, and Boland won that battle. Yeah, and I have a question for you uh, to see to gauge you on Force of Will here. If it was there when he took bribery, do you think that it was a be- it would be a better pick than bribery? I don't think so. I think I'd rather have bribery. <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> okay, I mean, I think it's I, maybe for his deck. You're right. Force of Will probably was better, but at the same time, like. I don't think force like force of will the inherent card disadvantage in cube actually matters a lot. You know, it's not like you. Yeah, it's worse. It, to be fair, it's worse in our cube than in the cube that I actually play, which is pathetic that I don't get to play our cube. But it's true, I don't live there. Yeah. Um, I play the MTGO cube uh, where force of will are the I should say the powered MTGO cube. Uh, force of will is like super important because. Their cube is about doing the most broken thing as possible as quickly as possible. I mean, they have all the signets, all the just like ramp, just ramp, dump ramp, everything ramp. for one haymaker, and if you just go force a will, <laughs> the game's over. So anyway, yeah, I, I, just, I obviously am a little 
I, I think it's just strictly worse in draft than it is in constructed. Where like if you're playing legacy, you can have four, oh, yeah, four force of wills in your deck and have some redundancy with it. If it's the only yes. one in your deck, like you have to be really selective about when you decide to fire off that tap out or that tapped out counterspell. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you're if you're giving up two cards to do that, you better be countering something really important. And I don't know. Yeah, like, I, I mean that the deal is though with force of will and and being a blue card, obviously, and you have to be heavy blue if you want to play it, uh, is that blue just fills up the hand pretty easily. So to worry about two, getting two for one, uh, it shouldn't be on the top of your mind. Like You should be caring about staying alive till, till the late game. And once you're alive in the late game, blue just wins. Right, but here's what I'll say. Another reason I don't like Force of Will as much as you is because in our cube... It's really easy to come back from, like, if they do stick that one thing while you're tapped out. We have so much bounce, so many control magics, and so many clone effects yeah. in the cube, and he ended up with a lot of them. Um, yep. Those can really just steal that. Like, it's almost like you don't mind if they stick one really good thing, especially if you can just steal it with a control magic or a sower of temptation or clone it with a phantasmal image or Sakishima's student, you know? Like, Yeah, I mean, the way his deck ended up, he didn't I need it. He did not need Force of Will. Not very important. Um, mostly because the permission he has is insane. Like, he has so much of it. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean... Uh, so, yeah, his deck was very... I mean, he I mean he ended up with a Pact, pact of Negation, which does a... It's like the, the Homeless Man's Force of Will. But uh, it does a, a, a pretty much the exact same thing after, you know, the 6th or 7th turn or whatever. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's... I think his deck was probably the best one drafted. Um, so kudos to him. Let's let's move on real quick. Kind of go through some of the other decks. We talked about Brian and his four color like mid range deck. Uh, he started off with Mox Ruby and Sword of Fire and Ice. I really wanted Mox Ruby, by the way. Like he picked yeah, right, sure. <laughs> right right before me in the first round, and when he took that, I was like, oh shit, am I gonna have to fight over the mono red cards with him? And luckily I didn't, but, um, so that, that was what made me take Mox Emerald, uh, with my first pick. Uh, anyway, uh, he went on after that to take Liliana the Veil, Deathrite Shaman, and then seven or eight lands in a row, uh, and then Lotus Cobra. So guess what he was doing? You know, like there's the, the four color, like he, and like later in the draft, he drafted what, uh, eight gold cards in a row, which is pretty sweet. <laughs> that is pretty sweet. It It looks very pretty. But uh, it, it does seem like his deck lacked focus, but that's kind of the way that just, like, multicolor random stuff works. Yeah, just that multicolor good stuff. It's just like, oh, I'm just going to play the most powerful spells I can get a hold of, and I don't really care how they interact with each other. And the thing- I mean, it's like looking at, like, Bloodbraid Elf in this deck. It's like, certain decks, Bloodbraid oh. Elf, like, you have a, an idea of, like, what it's going to do. It's going gonna, it's gonna to play a burn spell, or it's going to play a sweet creature. Don't it's remind like, no. me of that, Jeff. That was like the one hack. <laughs> like I talked about how I was bummed that John took Boros Reckoner, but Bloodbraid Elf was rough. Bloodbraid yeah. Elf was a card I really, really wanted in my and zoo you, deck. You couldn't have seen that coming. Like no, not even. No, he was standing over close. at the gold cards, and he had like Liliana the Veil, Deathrite Shaman, and Lotus Cobra in his deck. I'm like, there's no <laughs> like, way he's gonna take some aggro like haste creature right now. And I was going to take Bloodbraid with my next pick. I was gonna take Bloodbraid oh, really? figure. Yeah. Oh rough it was really oh, it was really rough he took that and i just like i didn't say anything but i was like i was sort of crushed inside i was like god <laughs> damn it why do you want that card like why are you taking my free spell i know I was uh, but um 
but yeah, but I mean, like in his deck, the card is really actually pretty bad. I mean, not it's not it's not awful, but it's no. like you don't really know what it's gonna do. Like the thing, there's I... just so many things that it might hit that are just random. Like the thing, the know. thing I will say about this deck, and one of the things that was kind of an overarching theme of this draft after we split into teams was that there are no holes in it because all the cards are powerful and because he can cast them all. He was going to have consistent things to do every game, and sure. that ended up mattering uh, when it came down to our final records. You know, do you know his record? No, I tried to tried to get that. Um, there are a few people I haven't gotten results back from just because I don't remember. Uh, yeah, what? I mean that would be a really interesting record to see because I I feel like what he drafted is kind of like a barometer of the format. Like right, it's like, just good just stuff. good stuff. Yeah, just like. How well does good stuff do in a format of like people drafting themes? But but that's like kind of the okay. This is a discussion I wanted to have eventually, so let's have it now. The way that the team split up was that basically all of like the fair creature decks and like mid range decks ended up on one team. Me, this four color mid range deck that Brian drafted, Alex and his white green like mid range hate bears deck, uh, Cartmill's white weenie deck, Spencer's resource denial deck. And then Tristan was our one control drafter with the blue-red control deck we talked about earlier. But even mm-hmm. like you said, his was more of like kind of a tap-out deck anyway. Um, right. And then all of the other decks on the other uh, uh, on Team 2 were mostly control and combo decks. Um, there was John's like mono-red aggro deck or mono-red creature deck, which was the one exception. But then Boland had the blue control deck. Ryan drafted kind of a, an artifact control combo deck. Um mm-hmm. Danny drafted this black-green mid-range slash reanimator deck, and caveat, Danny hadn't played Magic in like a year. And, um, I mean, while he played admirably and was a good sport, he he did not win many games, I don't think, and his deck was really unfocused. Um, uh, Dan N. drafted like a Tinko, Tinker combo deck, and Marina uh, drafted like a mono-green ramp combo. So it was like fair decks and consistent decks versus like control and combo decks yeah and the results were really interesting in the sense that the two two of the decks were very good on the control combo side Bolin's mono blue control deck and ryan's kind of control artifact combo deck mm-hmm. um but the rest of, like the the variance inherent to those strategies uh, across the board like all the control and combo kind of just wasn't good enough overall against the consistency of my team's decks that we ended up kind of handily beating them overall, you know? Like, a lot of our right. team went 4-2 and two or 3-3. Three and three, and They had a couple guys go 4-1, and one, but they had one guy go 0-6 oh and, and someone else go 2-4 and four, just based upon kind of, like, randomness and variance within, like, those kind of archetypes. And I think that's a really interesting study for Cube. Like, like you said, Brian's deck is a good barometer of that individually, but when you split it into teams, you can see it as well. True, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, um, go, go ahead. Are, are we done talking about that subject? Sorry. Well, no, I mean, I, w- I was going to see if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to see how, how that turned out. Um, like, I think that some of these decks, these combo-type decks, just ended up that uh, the people who are drafting them, I'm, I'm taking a shot in the dark here. I don't know these people at all, uh, but I'm guessing that they probably don't have a ton of 
um, cube experience. experience. Yeah, cube experience or, or roto experience for that matter. Correct. And, all, and that was also and draft, a big deal. Drafting these like combo decks, like because there are specific, like the combo decks are super specific, right? Like you just have to have the right pieces at the right time, so you have to draft your deck in the right way. And uh, like I liked Marina's deck a lot for the first like long while. A, a lot of her picks made a lot of sense um like in the first 15 picks i mean that like for the if first you just look 20 at those, picks it made sense yeah or, or even 20 i i mean somewhat but uh but yeah i mean you just look at the first uh 16 picks and that looks like you fill out the holes there and that deck is going to consistently have a giant monster like on turn, turn, turn three or four, four at the latest yeah turn three or four every game like you just have to fill it in with, I mean, most likely another color, but uh, right. But like some way to get there. Like blue is the best thing to do, but I mean, obviously blue is heavily drafted. I think black but, black also works. Uh, yeah, black also works totally. Like um, getting dark ritual or not dark ritual, um, demonic tutor, vampiric tutor, those type of effects, or even mystical tutor in blue. Like basically, what you need in a deck like a combo ramp deck like this is a little bit of card selection and card filtering. And right. all she ended up with was Sylvan Library. Um, yeah, and Survival. Sure, she ended up with Survival and uh, the Fauna Shaman. But those are kind of slow and generic. Like, sometimes what you really need to get is your Natural Order or your Tooth and Nail, you know? Um, and that's, I think, what it lacked. I also think that, like, the order in which she drafted some of these cards was a little suspect. Like, I think you can wait on survival a little bit longer. Maybe not you can't wait on it longer, but I think it's less important in this deck than a card like Garrick Wildspeaker was. Um, she ended up getting Garrick Wildspeaker way later than that anyway, so it didn't end up mattering. Um, but Yeah, I mean, the other thing is, we have show and tell in our cube, yeah? Yes. Yeah. It didn't even get that, drafted. That, that went undrafted, and her deck is a show and tell deck, yeah. essentially. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, it's just that kind of thing. Like, it probably wasn't even on her mind. She was just like, oh, I want to draft mono green, get the giant monster in play. Yeah. And instead, like, she may not even have known that that was in the queue. I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. But but uh, but obviously, like, she's drafting a show-and-tell deck. <laughs> she probably have show-and-tell in there. Uh, so, and there's a lot of there's a lot of really good blue cards. I mean, was um, uh, Frantic Search drafted? Uh, I don't probably. know. It probably was. Yeah, I don't think it's listed on here, but it, I have to assume that one of the combat decks... I have it. a feeling Ryan had that in his pile. Yeah, but anyway, like, Frantic Search is insane in these kind of decks and, and things like that. Um, I just think that if she had more of a grasp on what the deck needed before sitting down, that her deck could have been the best deck at the table. Uh, it... it demolished me in the one in the match we played like she turned to progenitist me one game and like turn- yeah, that's, just, that's rough yeah i mean there's literally nothing i could do and i don't like i don't know what <laughs> you there... could do if you had like if you're black maybe you have diabolic edict yeah that's it about that's it. about all you, that's that's what you're looking at um yeah and i mean i got her one game but at the same time like i think after we played our match we we played in the first round she kind of ran into those games where she drew the wrong combination of cards, and maybe she should have mulliganed more, who knows, but the deck was very powerful, but you're right. I think it's just missing a little something, a little bit of card selection, card uh, filtering. Um, but it's, Yeah, it's, it just seems like there are cards that she probably main decked that should just never be in a 
in a show and tell deck. Like, oh, absolutely. Just, like, yeah, what, I mean, the cards like you look at some of the other green drafters like Regrowth, uh, Strangle Root, Geist, Wall of Blossoms. Those are the types of cards I want to see in this deck. Not Obstinate Baloth or Uktavi Orangutan. You know, like you don't really care about anything your opponent does. All you're trying to do is stick an enormous threat as fast as possible, and you need to be really focused in that goal. Right. Yeah. But, um, all right. So any of these other decks you really want to talk about? We've been running a while here. Um, I think I, let's I, talk about Alex's deck because that did take an interesting turn after the first three rounds. We kind of talked about it a little bit, but, uh, um, wait, after the first three rounds, when he took noble. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, so we talked about this quite a bit. Um, so the plan was to draft a, a zoo deck, like Greg did, um, but be base uh, white green, actually, instead of base red, which Greg did. Uh, and the idea behind that is that we really wanted to be a, a, a sword-based deck, essentially. Focusing on Stoneforge Mystic, swords, uh, swords being sword. The, the equipment swords, but also getting swords, that would be great. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just um, get playing the cheap cheap dudes and equipping them with something that will end the game. Uh, and then having, like, just the bonus, um, like, some, some bonus red burn spells for a little more reach and, uh, you know, and having, like, a wild Nakatl that'll be fucking rad. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I did have so, that red wild Nicottle, by the way. Oh man, it's so red. <laughs> I love like, wild Nicottle is so insane when it's good. But um, anyway, so yeah, so the idea was for him to start with. I mean, he he totally decided his the early picks of his draft. Um, he was like, oh, I should take a mox first, and I said, Yeah, totally. Um, if you if you end up at that side of the draft, you know, because people at the end don't get to choose mox. But uh, he did end it in the middle, which is actually perfect for his deck. Um, and he even had Mox Pearl there, sitting there for him. So he took that. Um, and and I, I, I had to convince him that Stoneforge was the next pick. Um, because, I mean, to be fair, Alex is a very casual Magic player. Pretty much knows nothing. Well, not nothing. Uh he doesn't keep up on, uh, or he never kept up on standard or or any constructed formats for that matter. I mean, he plays constructed for fun, but he just builds decks, whatever. And uh, so, like, he had no idea that Stoneforge Mystic was even a powerful card. Like, that was not a card that was on his mind. Where like the general Magic player is like, oh yeah, Stoneforge Mystic, one of the most powerful cards printed in the past decade or whatever. Like just a crazy powerful card and so he didn't realize and i'm just like well like look at it this way it's it's the sword and the body like like you get it in one instead of just the sword and it's i mean well that's enough for it to be the best card in your deck the other thing that made it super important in this actual draft is that it lets you cheat the sword into play like aether yeah. vial style around like boland and and, and dan's uh, deck uh, Dan. And I think Ryan might have had a couple counter spells. Nope, he didn't. No. Nope. Anyway, no, he was on that route. But uh, but anyway, yeah. So that is that's a bonus, like on top of it. Um. So yeah. So I so I told him, you know, you should take Stoneforge early. I you know, I think I I told him that it will be gone in the first two rounds most likely. Like if anyone wants to play white and be aggressive, they're going to take Stoneforge first. If they're going to take a white card. So um. So he did. He took that and. Uh, 
And I actually told him to take Sword of War and Peace over Jitae if it came to him. Um, he was going to take Jitae and ignore me. <laughs> I would have agreed with Alex. Uh, I think that Sword of War and Peace is better if you're all out aggressive. Well, okay. Let me retract what I just said. I think it's better if the uh, field is not full of creature decks. If the field is full of uh, combo and, and control. Mm. It's, it, it definitely. I mean, GTA controls the board. That's what it does. Yeah, like, but it's also just more efficient in general. Like, It doesn't kill the opponent like nearly as fast as War and Peace. No, but I mean that's. I mean, if you're gonna make that argument, then why not just take sort of body in mind? Because the protections are, they they matter. Okay. The white and red protection matters, and and I think that the that truthfully they're about the same speed, war and peace and body in mind. Yeah. Uh, two two hits in the early game that should be. Nice. I'd still rather just have the vacuum more powerful card in GTA. Right. I mean. I, I mean, I can understand your argument. I just I yeah. I disagree. <clears throat> I respectfully disagree. Yeah, that's fine. But he ended up with the Sword of War and Peace, which is what I wanted anyway. And he sent me a picture of the first his first three picks, and I was very happy. <laughs> We're doing but, it! Uh, but yeah, and so I told him that um, something that he wanted to think about if he was going to go base green-white is that a card like like Noble Hierarch, or um, also like Avacyn's Pilgrim, which he picked up later, uh, would be pretty important if he was going to go focus on getting a sword into play as fast as possible. Because... You know, getting him, getting to your three as fast as possible is is important, and so that's why he ended up doing noble fourth. And it, I mean, I think most people agree that it's probably the best one mana dork. Yeah, um, I mean, it's better than birds. It's probably it's definitely better than Llanowar elves. Yeah, obviously. But uh, anyway, and and yeah, so that was why he took that there. But the plan the whole time was to take green cards eventually so yeah um let let me let me riddle me this jefferson do you mm -hmm. think there's an argument to be made that he should have taken armageddon over the sword in the third round and then gotten like any sort of equipment back to him in the fourth where he took noble no because well i guess it depends on what in in the yeah yeah the fourth it depends on what everybody else is drafting and at that point let's see here at that point, he would have seen... He would have been the only white drafter at that point in the third round. The only white drafter, uh, and which I think is an argument against taking Armageddon, but um, yeah. he would have seen somebody taking Jitae, which signals aggro, somebody taking Tarmogoyf, which can signal aggro, uh, somebody taking Stripmine, which can signal aggro, a sword already... or Two swords already been taken. Um, third round. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Sword of light and shower, sort of fire and ice. Okay. Yeah, and then you had taken bolt. So like, it looked like. Yeah, I think the swords right picked there because it looks like there's enough aggro players on the table that if he didn't take a sword there, it was possible for him to not get a sword at all. Well, I think if he passes on it there, you could make the argument that Cartmill takes it, but then Batterskull is still there in the fourth probably. Um. Not to mention, and, and sort, sort of Feast and Famine went to Alex in the sixth round, like two picks later, or two rounds later. Uh, yeah. 
and that was an awesome pickup. Yeah. yeah, and that that actually ended up really mattering for his deck. I um, oh, for sure. I think. I mean, that, I think that made Stoneforge crazy good because he got to choose which protections he got. For like, sure, and that that ended insane. up being a big deal. I do think there's an argument to be made for Armageddon there with his third pick, just especially because he already oh. has Stoneforge and he just lays his claim to basically the two best white cards in the cube. I think. Yeah, I would agree, but uh, I mean, I, I don't think he has a reason to think that. Well, I mean, yeah, I think there's a very good chance that Armageddon won't be there on the on the roundabout. But I don't even think that he. I mean, we we talked about Armageddon maybe a little bit, but uh, it wasn't really uh, a huge priority for, in general. For me, I the, here's the way I look at it. We talk about. Well, I'm gonna kind of harp on the same thing I always do, which is that unique effects in cube are, or especially this cube roto format, are just very very important and. Armageddon is the only Armageddon in the cube. We don't have the other one. Was it Ravages of War or something? Uh, I will I will have to say that, though, that in an aggressive deck, you're going to see a lot less cards of your deck every game, assuming you win. So the chances of seeing that unique effect are lower. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, being more streamlined and being more redundant is pretty important. But here's the way I look at it. The way I look at it is that if you draw your Sword of War and Peace or you get it with Stoneforge, that's part of your plan. You're probably going to win that game, right? I think if you get to resolve an Armageddon after you stick a couple early threats, the same thing is going to happen. And I guess my my argument isn't necessarily that Armageddon is better than Sword of War and Peace. It's that Sword of War and Peace is more replaceable than Armageddon, and furthermore, that Noble Hierarch is more replaceable than both of those cards. And so I think... Like, even if you miss out on Hierarch, which I don't even know if he would have... Uh, like if, He couldn't have taken Armageddon there. Well, no, what I'm saying is you take Armageddon where he took the sword, and when he took the Hierarch, you take what whatever the best equipment is, whether it's Sword of War and Peace, Sword of Body and Mind, Sword of Feast and Famine, Batter Skull, you pick one. Yeah, he would have at least probably gotten a sword back. I mean, yeah, he would have gotten least. a sword or the Batter Skull back. Like, we saw that the Batter Skull went after that Noble Hierarch pick, right? I mean, yeah. I think there's even an argument to be made that whether he took Armageddon or not in the third round, that that Hierarch pick should have been Batterskull to go with his Stoneforge and Sword of War and Peace, you know? Yeah, again, I think... I, I understand I mean, that you're focusing on an aggro deck. Like, at this point, your yeah. plan is still to be hyper-aggressive, and I get that. But mm-hmm. I guess, ultimately, what I'm trying to say is I, this is why I think Armageddon is the correct pick in the third round. I'm not Again, I'm not saying that, like, Noble Hierarch was the wrong pick in the fourth round based upon what happened and what the deck was aiming to do at that point. But in the third round, I think you take Geddon, and then in the fourth, you're, you're left with either like a, a different piece of equipment, or the same piece of equipment maybe, or or you can still take Hierarch, which is very good with Armageddon, you know. <clears throat> so I don't know. That's that's the argument I'll make. And I guess like I, I just look at Hierarch in the fourth round, and I think okay, I get it. But look at Avicen's Pilgrim in the twelfth round, or uh, Lanawar Elves in the twelfth round. Like, these types of cards, one-mana dudes who ramp you a turn, while the Hierarch is the best one, there are plenty of them in the cube to kind of fill that role, whereas there's only one Armageddon, there's a limited number of, like, elite equipment, like Sword of War and Peace, Batter Skull, and the other swords, you know? So, I don't know, that's all I wanted to say about, like, kind of the beginning of the draft. Yeah, we actually don't have a lot of ramp in our cube, um, in terms of... <clears throat> we only have the 4-1 drops, uh, which I guess... Sounds like a lot, but like MTGO cube has like six of them, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean the 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 thing is is like I stress. I mean, 
I stressed to him that he, he wanted at least two of them in terms of noble pilgrim birds and Lanoir. Um, because the idea was to get, I mean, and, and in the final version of his deck, they're really good. Oh yeah. His, his, because he had, he, he ended up being, uh, his mana cost being more around the three to five range instead of the, the, uh, one to three range, which was the original plan. Right. Well, I mean, that, and that's um, why this deck ended up being really good is because he realized that he needed to kind of shift the focus of his deck away from that hyper-aggressive strategy and more into, like, a mid-range type of deck. And mm-hmm. along the way, he picked up just a ton of awesome cards for that type of strategy, like Mother of Runes, Thalia, um, yeah, that, Gaddick that Teague. Mu- and he ended up on the team where all he got to do was face off against control decks. It was incredible. <laughs> like, he had this perfect anti-control deck uh in like the right mana the whole way like i don't know he he just it was just yeah, right I mean, in the wheelhouse yeah, of this draft run locks and smiter gaddick <laughs> teague thalia like just crazy it was nasty it was like it. we were bu- we were building his deck and this came up like as like because we built decks as a team and we're like looking at all these cards that he has in his deck and we're like well here's what like you should play and then we thought about more what we were going to play against, and we're like, wait, we need to get this Gaddick Teague. Just not, we don't need that in the sideboard to come in. We just need that yeah. main deck, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And so we started cutting, like, cards like uh, the the six-mana Elspeth or, or, like, just all these yeah. expensive cards that would kind of rub up against Thalia and against Gaddick Teague. I think he ended up playing the Elspeth anyway. But oh, just, like, I don't know. It, it ended up being, like, the perfect metagame deck for this draft. It was really interesting to see take shape. Yeah, when he, like, uh, I mentioned Teague and Thalia to him as, like, or, or Thalia mostly, but Teague doing a similar thing to Thalia um, when we were building the deck and stuff and saying that they were going to be very important for him, or at least one of them. I mean, uh, because, you know, they they make it so you just close the game out before they get to do anything. And uh, when he was doing the draft and texting me, and I couldn't exactly see what was happening, he was telling me that he was going to take, or that he was thinking about taking Teague, uh, and I liked the idea. But then he was telling me at the same time that he wanted to go into a, more of a ramp deck um, and get like Mirari's Wake and uh, Elish Norn and these types of things. And I was like, ah, man, if you do that, like the Teague pick's kind of wasted because you're probably not going to main it, you know. And then he didn't listen to me, and he ended up pretty happy about that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, his deck ended up sweet. I was I was really happy. He got with how he he got did. a lot of really good like late rate late round value, mostly because there were only like three people drafting white creatures, and I wasn't really drafting any of the mono white dudes. I was mostly just right. drafting gold cards. Um, right. And so, like, he was ending up with, like, late Restoration Angel, Baneslayer Angel. Uh, yeah. Like... When Restoration... That was the last pick that I consulted him on. And by consulted him, I mean, he was, like... It was, like, pick, you know, round 20-whatever. 21. At 21. And he's, like, Restoration Angel is still around. That needs to be taken, right? <laughs> I was yeah. like... Meanwhile, he has, yeah. he has Stoneforge, Ragtusk... <laughs> And Kitchen Finks all in his pile already. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a nice one. 
That's pretty funny. Yeah, so his deck like, ended up sweet. Are there any uh, any other decks you want to talk about here? I just wanted to talk... I, I just wanted to, to close it out. I mean, we talked briefly about Ryan's deck. It's sweet. He's Ryan. Look at it. <laughs> it obviously. Uh, he drafts the coolest decks, usually. Um, this actually I is just, a pretty boring standard yeah, Ryan deck. Truth, truthfully, it isn't that crazy. I mean, it's cool because he like uses artifacts in an interesting way, but that's the only cool thing. Um but just look at his first five picks. Oh, it's, the library it's never lasts the that long. He got Library of Alexandria in the fifth round. pile of cards. It's like, I'm going to start with Soul Ring, Grim Monolith, and Mind Twist. And you're like, oh, wow, that's that's pretty gross. And it's like, and by the way, like, let's throw a Demonic Tutor in there so I can grab these cards. And then, hell, why not? Why not just get Library of Alexandria in the fifth goddamn round? Like, Demonic Tutor in the fourth is insane. Even Mind yeah, Twist in the third is pretty ridiculous. I know. It's because people are taking cards like Strip Mine and Him to Turak and Tarmogoyf. And Tarmogoyf, and uh, there's some other ones too, right? No, those, mm. are, those are the only. I mean, Karn in the second well, round. Well, your, your Mox Diamond pick. Well, the yeah. Very early. Uh, again, that was more a, a nod to what I wanted to draft. And this is something else I kind of wanted to talk about briefly was staying open versus committing in a 12-man. Because usually when we've done this in the past, it's been 10 drafters. This is the first time we've ever done it with 12. And I really wanted to stay open with my first two picks. Um, I think that's the right which, call, yeah. Which is why I took the Mox Diamond in the second round over uh, a card that would commit me to a color, necessarily. Right. Um, with that said, it's possible I should have just taken Demonic Tutor or Mind Twist or Library yeah. of Alexandria, you know? like these... And the Mox Diamond is mostly just good and aggressive strategies. Right. I mean, that's why I wanted it, and that's why I picked it there. Right. Um, right. And it's especially good in this deck because it produces any color, and that was important to me as a... It was actually one of the worst cards in my deck all day, I have to admit that. Um, but with that said, like, there were some games where it was absolutely insane, you know? Cause, cause, because yeah. of, like, the range of colors I, I committed to my deck. Like, I was playing Figure of Destiny, Voice of Resurgence, like, a Johnny Vengeant, uh, Wild Nakatl, Goblin Guide, Loam Lion, Hellspark yeah. Elemental. Like, basically, I needed red, green, and white mana by turn two every game. And yep. Mox Diamond gets you that. So that was that was why I, I think that's a defensible pick. I don't know if it's... I doubt it's the correct pick if you're just going for best deck, best power level available. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is it's it's a fairly narrow card. So it's like, it, it's it's not... It, it's I'd say it's pretty similar to taking Strip Mine early. It's like... Yeah, strip mine's a powerful card. Period. Right, but when I go mox most diamond decks lightning, don't care that much about it. Yeah, when I go mox diamond lightning bolt, you know I'm probably just looking to draft aggro at that point. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, Ryan's deck is sweet. He, his first five picks are really a thing it's of just, beauty. It's just gross. It's just like yeah. Well, if, to tell somebody that this was a rotisserie cube draft and this person got all these cards. Now, now to be, be like, fair, you're lying to me. The demonic tutor pick was actually a the first pick of the fifth round, too. So yeah. when Brian took Deathrite Shaman, he was taking it over Demonic Tutor. When John took Grim Lava Mancer, he was taking it over Demonic Tutor. When I took Sulfuric Vortex, I was taking it over Demonic Tutor. Like, yeah, but... I think Sulfuric Vortex is the only one of those that's defensible. <laughs> Uh, and and even uh, I mean not I I I'm not trying Death to right. my Deathrite is just wrong. I don't know what he's doing with Deathrite, but and and yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, some decks demonic tutor is actually not even good, like not even a card that you want to run. 
because your deck is just fair things. <laughs> right. And generally those decks aren't great. But I mean, like Alex's deck is pretty much just a fair things deck. He's got he's got swords. That's the the only thing in his deck that's like unfair. Yeah. Um, but like in a deck like his, say, like I mean, saying he could actually cast demonic tutor wouldn't be that impressive. I mean, it would just it would just grab a sword is what it would do, and it would just mean that your sword costs five, which is still good, but not great. Yeah, I, I think the fact that demonic tutor made it to the fourth round or the end of the fourth round is basically a testament to the fact that we had a few inexperienced drafters in this form. Right. Like, Dan took Vampiric Tutor over it, which I'm pretty sure is just wrong. Uh, Danny... I'm pretty sure that's... Yeah, I mean, the other... The other no way it's right. The other Dan took Dark Ritual over it. Spencer took Thoughtseize over it. Like, these are all just... Like, I, it, all these guys took black cards. Like, and none of those black cards are as good as Demonic Tutor is. Yeah, I I really like Thoughtseize, but... I do, uh, too. But it's pro- I think it's Thoughtseize makes possibly. it back to the next round. Like when he took Chain Lightning, Thoughtseize yeah, yeah, probably yeah. still would have been there. I think I think Spencer's not overvaluing Thoughtseize, but I think that everybody undervalues it, so didn't make he didn't need to take it that early. But um But yeah, I mean and, and truthfully Spencer's deck doesn't want to monitor. He's he's a black deck that actually doesn't want it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he doesn't want it because, like, let's say he has Crucible and not Strip Mine or vice versa. Like, yeah, just a little, like a, a little more redundancy there. Time. Yeah, or, or like Bitter Blossom, or he needs a win condition because this deck was really thin on win conditions. I do think well, that, like, or he has Abyssal Persecutor and he just needs a way to get rid of it. Like, I think Demonic Tutor would have been just fine in his deck. Like, I don't think that's it's uh, bad in any black deck. I do think that there are decks that it's better in, like Ryan's. But, I think Demonic Tutor would have been like as good as Fulminator Mage in Spencer's deck, which is to say, pretty lackluster. But mm, yeah. I disagree. Anyway, Ryan's deck is sweet. Like, just basically, he's a Tinker deck without the Tinker. He was more focused on just ramping into unfair things like Sundering Titan or uh, Mere Battle Sphere. That's a classic Ryan rotisserie card. He always drafts that one. Like, it's a really good card. Yeah, it is, and for some reason nobody ever wants it like that's a card that really would have looked good in marina's green ramp deck you know um yep but your battle sphere is actually like I, I mean playing a lot of mtgo cube that's like a easy top three pick like i mean it's it generally doesn't go past three players in the draft yep and like to go with all of like the busted things he could do he had some just like value cards like solemn simulacrum phyrexian metamorph uh spell skite mole drifter uh, Do you have any idea if he grabbed and played Grand Architect? Pretty sure he did not, but he might have. There are some picks missing here. Um, I'm I mean, pretty I, sure I, that we, didn't make it into his pile. We recently added it, and it's such like a loose card, and I wonder if it works at all. But it doesn't look like it works in his deck, so he probably didn't. Take yeah, it. it's it's hard to judge cards like that in the rotisserie format, and, and by cards like that, I mean artifact centric, like colored spells. Because the best, like, it's not like an eight-man draft where the, you can get, like, multiple of, like, the really good artifacts. Like, the best artifacts get sp- spread out pretty thin among all the drafters. True. Like, we have an analysis on this uh, spreadsheet of, like, what kind of cards were drafted per round, like, by color. So, in, like, the first round, there were eight colorless of 12 cards taken. And in the second round, seven <laughs> of the 12 were colorless. Like, yeah, that's insane. the good artifacts go in the first, like, three rounds pretty universally like some of those are equipment but most of those are like the fast mana and 
like the fast mana is what makes that kind of artifact ramp deck tick. Um, yeah. Truthfully, we actually don't have a ton of fast mana in our cube, which is good in my opinion. I agree. I think it's much better. Um, so h- how much more you got on this? I have one more thing I'd kind of like to discuss, but if you want to go a little longer, that's fine. No, go for it. I don't really have much else to say. Okay, so getting back to this uh, idea of like what cards of what colors were taken in which round. Um, in addition to that, I also totaled up like total number of cards taken for a color by each round. So like we talked about the colorless cards. Like by the end of the third round, there were eighteen colorless cards gone, three lands, two white cards, six blue cards, three black cards, one red card, three green cards. Like that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. If you kind of do that further down the draft, uh, by the 20th round, here are the numbers. 36 colorless cards were taken, 40 land cards. Um, quick sidebar, uh, if there was a gold card, I counted it for each of those colors. So some there's some overlap here. Um, 38 white cards, 40 blue cards, 33 black cards, 48 green cards, and I left red for last here because there were only 25 red cards taken in the first 20 rounds. Like yeah, that redheaded stepchild. It's literally redheaded. <laughs> um, tw- twenty total gold cards, by the way, but those were counted in those other uh, in those single color columns. Mm-hmm. Like, is this just a product of the roto format? Is it a product of red in the cube in general? And if it is, it's. I mean, let's just answer those questions first. All right, definitely partially due to the roto format. Wow. Um, because well, because you have much more choice over what you're doing in in a draft when you get past a pack that has like three three red cards and like or like four red cards and like some other random stuff and like the red cards are solid you're gonna take red cards and then you're gonna go in red I mean like it's the 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 fact of the matter is is like we have what seven hundred around 700 cards available. Yes. And and only, uh, I can do the math here, 480 are being taken. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can ignore an entire color almost, and everybody can end up with decks. So it's like, since red tends to be the more... Uh, Linear. One, one-dimensional... Color. Yes. Like, that doesn't surprise me. Um, and I don't think it would happen as bad in a regular draft, but it does happen in, dra- in a regular draft, just not as bad. It happens in a regular draft for the same, like, somewhat the same reason. Like, the problem with it in Roto is that it is, like, <laughs> for the most part, it's pretty single-minded. Like, you're going to play cheap, efficient creatures, and you're going to try to disrupt your opponent's life total with burn or lands with land destruction. Like, those are just, like, the cube is an amalgamation of the best cards ever printed in Magic, and the best red cards do that, you know? Mostly, yeah. Yeah, the best green cards, the best black cards, the best blue cards, the best white cards tend to be a little more versatile as far as, like, type of strategy they fit into. Um, you, we talked about, like, a red-blue control deck. That is a possibility, but for the most part, red is at its best when it's burning the face and attacking, like, just attacking life total, attacking resources as early as possible. And, yeah, I will say... Go ahead. That red is criminally underrated. I will not say in rotisserie draft because I think it's a little different here. 
but in a regular draft because people are not willing to take cards. Like I see a lot of online, uh, like I see draft videos, and um, people will be in uh, a color, maybe maybe have one card of another color, and then late in pack one, they'll get past like a lightning bolt and some other random kind of middle of the road cards, and they're drafting I don't know blue cards or they're drafting. I mean, even like white cards or just just cards that don't that don't scream like attack fast and and now, and so they look at lightning bolt and they're like, nope, not for me, and they're crazy because because a card like that is good in every deck and um like the like burn spells and things like that are always looked at as well this this card mostly just kills your opponent and and or clears blockers out of the way. They'd never look at it as this deals with a problem that I have and sometimes just wins me the game. Yeah. It's because red is boring and burn spells are boring because they're red burn spells. Oh, in, so I mean, I, I, this, I don't, I don't agree with this statement <laughs> because I, they kill planeswalkers. Red is my favorite color everything. of magic. Like I'm a red mage, like tried and true. Um, <laughs> so like, I don't have this problem, but, I think when other people look at red, they look at lightning bolt and they think, you know what? This is the best burn spell ever printed, but red has burn spells in literally every format that ever comes out in magic. Every new draft set that, that comes out, there's going to be some somewhat cheap red burn spell at common, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to cube, like we've no, all done this before, Yeah, we've all done this before. We've been here before cube for most people is like, I want to do something completely degenerate. And while having access to the best burn spells ever, like Lightning Bolt and Sulfuric Vortex and Goblin Guide, like is pretty degenerate. It's like it's the vanilla of degeneracy. You know, it's the the mm-hmm. the flavor that everyone's had enough times for it, like not to matter to them anymore. Like, yeah, you know what? I don't want vanilla. I want Snickerdoodle ice cream. You know, and <laughs> like that sounds great, but it's like, come on, man, vanilla's good too. You know what's funny though is that. I think that, that that statement would not have been as true, at least let's talk about draft only, but that statement would not have been true like pre-Zendikar days. Like the idea of an aggressive draft deck was like pretty crazy. Yeah. And so and so that was kind of a novel thing, like drafting that kind of deck well, back then. I think the other but, thing that did it was just the advent of cube, you know? Because when yeah. people started building cubes, they started to say, okay, what does this color do best? How can I make this color degenerate? How can I make this color win as fast as possible and be as non-interactive as, as it can be? And with red, that idea was, I'm going to build a slide deck when I draft. Because those have always been the best red decks. The red deck wins, the slide decks. Uh, I mean, big red to an extent. And that's where like you get the pillages and the stone rains and whatnot. Uh, the right the the cards like um avalanche riders you know yep and so you throw all that into a pile and then like cube comes out people start to cube more and more often and i remember when we first had our cube everyone wanted to draft the red deck the mono red aggro deck in our cube do you remember this yes i do like ryan wanted to draft it i wanted to draft it you wanted to draft it because it's so sweet like (laughs) I did. I first picked a jackal pup, I remember. <laughs> I would never do that ever in a million years. And the thing is, you've become so desensitized to cube as a format and mono red beats as a archetype because it's it's kind of become a staple of magic over the years that 
like it's boring. Like it's people are tired of it. I'm not tired of it because yeah. I, I I really do like just get great joy out of being like okay, uh, lightning bolt you, uh, sacrifice two mountains, fire blast you, you're dead. You know, like I got to do that <laughs> once on Saturday. It was awesome. I bet. And I think I think I did it to Hogan too, which is all the more gratifying. Oh, even better. Yeah. Um, I I think that the biggest thing that people need to do though is to rediscover the color and realize that it's not only that. Like, and and I'm not saying to draft a base red deck and not do that because that's probably not the best idea. Yeah. But to use red as your your extra color because a lot of the cards are very splashable and um, they have like really good effects. I, I mean, I don't know. It's a surprise. Like I mentioned this earlier, but like probably my favorite red card under lightning bolt in the cube is devil's play because it, it does, it kind of does everything like devil's or like lightning bolt does, but it much slower, <laughs> but but it is a, I mean, it is a legitimate win condition on its own. Yeah. And, and, but it deals with planeswalkers. It deals with their one drop. Like, if you're on the play, and they play a one drop, sometimes you get to kill it mm-hmm. with, with Devil's Play, which is amazing because then you later kill another thing, and it's like, or just kill them, or just kill them exactly. I mean, like there, there are just certain cards that like people look at and always go like last pick in it. Well, let's let's pack. throw out some more examples because this is, uh, I think, an interesting discussion on just the state of red, like state of the union for red and magic, like Greater Gargadon. Like, that card is awesome. It does so much in so many oh different types God. of decks. Yeah. Um, S- super good card. Uh, Faithless Looting. Yep. Perennially underrated for what it does. And like, I mean, Wheel of Fortune. and Right. I think Wheel of Fortune... I mean, that one's pretty more obvious, but... Wheel of Fortune is at its best in, like, a red burn deck, but it's also very good in, like, a combo deck, too. Oh, man. I'd say it's better in a combo deck. Yeah, it probably is, but I I guess most people think of it as, like, I'm going to play you a bunch of burn spells and cheap threats, and then I'm going to Wheel of Fortune. It's like... Sure. Or you could just play a bunch of cheap, fast artifact mana, then Wheel of Fortune, and just go the hell off. You know, you just explode the universe. Um, Earthquake, an awesome red control card. Flame Tongue Kavu. Flame Tongue Kavu is an excellent one. Uh, there was one other I was looking at here, and this is kind of a niche card. It's not a every cube, but Dragon Master Outcast. Like definitely no good in a red aggressive deck, but <laughs> as like a weird win condition and like a control deck, hell yeah. Yeah, I mean uh, that's a kind of win condition that blue red would be very happy to play because uh, if you can win with a one mana spell, like that means you get to leave all your counters up. Yeah. <laughs> And that's real sweet. To, um, to highlight, I, I, highlight a newer card, Hammer of Perforos. Another yeah. card that like just gives you a lot of inevitability. I don't know. And actually, Hammer's way better in non non base red decks because the haste matters in like like if it's in a base green deck. Like totally, Hammer could be like super powerful. Yep. Um, and uh, like a card I wanted to point out that I think everyone looks at as just a stone rain is um, Pillage. And like we talked about the first rounds of the of the draft, all the colorless cards go because they're the best in the friggin' cube. Yep. And guess what? That card also does. Like it's just super versatile. That's the thing that red has that a lot of people don't see. Like they look at blue cards, like Cryptic Command is a very obvious. Like this card does everything. But guess what? So does Lightning Bolt. So does Pillage. Like these cards have tons of modes that you didn't even like think about. Yeah. 
Like the and first time you get to pillage someone's Vidalcan shackles or sword or coalition relic, like. And the fact is, is like you can take it. I mean, it'll sit. You'll probably sit in your sideboard, but like against the deck that you know is destroying you with their Mazevith or something, it's like, oh, awesome! Randomly, I have this answer, or the deck that's destroying you with their Gta or whatever. I mean, these cards are really solid. They have very like useful applications. Um, I mean, Pyroclasm is also a good one. I mean, the other thing people don't think about in, in like looking at these removal spells is like, oh, they don't kill that many things. But truthfully, they kill almost everything up until like five plus mana. Like most things that cost like three to four can still be killed by a lot of red spells. And I might shift that to like one to three, but turn four, the, you start to see some some big butt dudes. Yeah, I'd say turn four is less of a creature turn though in general. But yeah, I mean, I, and I think cube in general is is not much of a creature format, and that's another argument for this. You know, it's like you might not be able to kill something on turn six with a lightning bolt, but by that time, you should be doing either something ridiculous yourself. Or have something in your other color to deal with that, you know? Like, the <clears throat> the lightning bolts, chain lightnings, and incinerates exist to kill those cheap threats, because these are cheap answers. Right. And if, and, and if at the end of the game, or towards the end of the game, they can't kill anything, they just go to the dome. Yeah, and this is something that ever, nobody ever thinks about, and why I love blue-red so much is because that's all you think about, is the fact that, that these spells win the game. Like, and like they only think of it that way if you're aggressive, but that's not true at all. Like, I mean, maybe you're just completely mid range, and or, or even control, and you're you're trying to win off your, um, you know, Frost Titan or something, and you know you get in a couple hits with Frost Titan, but then they deal with it, and it's like, oh, now I have to dig to my other win condition. Like you don't have very many, but guess what? Like you have a few burn spells or like. Probably more than a few if you're blue red. Stagger shock, burst lightning, and, and, fireball, yeah, and then it's like, oh, two hits with a frost titan means that you're just essentially dead. Like, I just have the game now because half of my deck is going to kill you. And and like these th- these things come up all the time. It's not like a, a weird thing. Like people have answers to your stuff, and you're not always going to be carried on the back of one card. It's just not likely. So to have the extra damage, even in non-aggressive decks, is huge. Like, it really does work. And it's, I mean, really hard to get around. When, when, when the opponent's down, it's, it's counter or bust. So, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I think that red is so undervalued. And Well, and you see it in a draft like this, where it is just the least drafted color by a wide margin. Like, every other card was, like, every other color was in the, like, 30s to 40s. Uh, there were more lands, artifacts, white spells, like every everything literally was drafted high, like more highly than red. And I don't know, like I my I brought this up because I wanted to say, like, do we need to fundamentally shift like the way our cube is constructed to like kind of balance that a little more to make red more appealing? But I think part of what makes red good is that it's not as appealing and that you get to do these kind of like yeah. These cool things with it that a lot of people are willing to overlook just to be able to do like s- stupid unfair things in other colors. Yeah, I mean the truth of it is is it, the, the red section is full of like you know uh 
cards that essentially do nothing in some decks, like like Hell's Thunder or, or Kelvin Marauders or yep. Fire Drinker Seder. Or, or if you're drafting the red aggro deck, like cards like Devil's Play or Red Sun Zenith, like you don't really want those there. Right. And so, like, there's just. Yeah. There's too much. Um, like, if you if you counted the red picks after that, like, you can see below 20, just, I mean, just by looking at you and John, obviously. Mm-hmm. But a ton of red cards. Oh, we're loading right up. That. And that was yeah, when uh, Tristan started to really get into it, too. Right. So it's one of those things where. I can see why a lot of these cards will be left much later. Um, like all the cards I just said, because only one, maybe two people would be interested in them, especially in a rotisserie draft. Yeah. So, so to, it's, it's not that surprising. So to like tie this kind of back into just a holistic look at rotisserie draft in general, red is good in cube because you can get these cards late because searing blaze is a 22nd round pick, you know, and yeah. Stormblood Berserker is a 24th round pick. You can use your early rounds to prioritize whatever you want, whether it's the burn, like the elite burn spells, or Armageddon, or like mana fixing to make it a red zoo deck, or like I, I think I think red is at its best when in this format when you use those early picks to get things like Tangle Wire and Smokestack. And we don't put Tangle Wire in our damn cube. We don't have it in our cube. We need it in this cube. It, Tangle Wire is so good. It really, I, I just figured this out. I didn't know that oh, it wasn't in our cube. It's unreal I, good. You get to tap the tangle wire. No, 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 I'm saying I didn't realize it wasn't in our cube till just recently. Yeah. And I, in my email that I sent, I mentioned it. But anyway. No, that needs to get in, like, ASAP, but... Yeah. It's crazy. It's super good, but so, it's, a, it's even good in, like, non-aggressive decks sometimes. But no, it's whatever. just inherently a powerful card because you're always tapping one fewer permanent than they are. I mean, you have to use a spell and some mana to do that. But it's almost yeah. always worth it. Yep. But yeah. Anyway, that's a that's a whole other discussion. Uh, I think that wraps it up for me. I I, I think this was what, the deepest we've ever gone on one of these roto cubes. And <laughs> I um, hope that people aren't just like, Ugh, well, I, I don't care. I'm not. I guess they would have turned it off. The, yeah. The last time we did this, we got a lot of really positive feedback. And even if you're not that's into good. like playing this format yourself, I did. I do think it is a really interesting kind of take on. One, card evaluation, but also two, like how to break a draft format. Uh, and it, it's kind of like how you how you break any game is you you identify like what the like the limited resources are. Uh, and for, man, I can't believe I just said that out loud. But like <laughs> you fi- you figure out what like what is hard to get, and you get that first, and you get as much of that as you can, and then after that you just build around what you have. You know. And there are a lot yeah. of different ways to do that, as evidenced by this draft and by the like the the powerful decks that came out of it. But um, you just you have a ton of freedom, and I, I think it's an awesome format. That even if you can't do it with like a powered cube, like do it with any cube, do it with just a pile of like draft swag. You know, like you can do this with all the cards from standard. We've done that before. We tried to do a league out of it. It was actually a lot of fun. Um, but rotisserie drafting, I, was. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. And ho- hopefully this discussion has been interesting to you guys. Uh, I'm sure the cube enthusiasts have loved it, but uh, for for the rest of y'all, like, yeah. yeah. The uh, the other thing is at least like for those that like balanced formats, take a look at the records. Like, look look how balanced this is. It's yeah. Awesome. Aside from poor Dan N, who went I know, six. Poor Dan. Uh, but, I mean, you can't see some of the records, but you can kind of fill in the blanks with 
But those are the, probably the two fours. <laughs> but you know what I'll tell you? But, After Dan lost to me in the last round of the day and went to 06, he said, I've never had more fun going over in any Magic format, you know? Because yeah. he yes. got to, like, tinker out. I think he tinkered out Sphinx of the Steel Wind against my red-green deck on turn three or something. And just <laughs> He won that game. Yes, he did. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's like, these are the kinds of, like, stupid things you get to do. And... Even in like a like a, a normal cube draft in eight man, that kind of stuff doesn't come up as often as it would here because you really get to streamline your decks. And yeah, yeah, it's just an awesome format. I, I highly recommend it, and I, I hope this is interesting to you guys. If it isn't, just let us know, and we'll stop fucking talking about it on future episodes because yeah. I can't lie. Every time we do one of these drafts, all I want to do is build this spreadsheet and talk about talk about it with you. Yeah, I know it's sweet. Because there's a lot of interesting um, analysis. I did want to. You were mentioning Tinker, and I just had to gripe about something really quick. Go for it. <laughs> it's just so stupid. But uh, I, I don't know if you ever watch draft videos on Channel Fireball. Probably not. Not anymore, no. But um, I try to watch all the Cube ones because I love Cube. And uh, watching David Ochoa, who seems to do most of the Cube videos, he's so freaking stupid I, it's just like so i mean just i didn't mean to say this just to uh, uh say that um specifically there was just this play where he has uh, a force of will in hand uh, in a grip full like a, just a grip full in this like uh, uh I forget what colors he was playing blue and white for sure maybe some others this control deck and his opponent like essentially it doesn't dump his hand but but he's done like four cards in hand or whatever, and he tinkers. And he has an O-ring in hand, but he has a force of will, and he can pitch a forbid to it or whatever. And he's like, I'm just going to let this resolve. Oh, no. <laughs> because I have an O-ring. I have no like, fear what? of an inkwell leviathan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and obviously that's what it was. <laughs> and it's like, first of all, like it could have been mere Battlesphere, he still gets four one ones. Not worth it. Yeah, and God um, forbid he's able to deal with the O ring, and then he gets four more one ones in addition to his mere battlesphere yeah. back. And then it could have been Sundering Titan. He would have killed your lands. Like there are just so many cards it could have been for it to not not be a good call. And like, and then um, yeah, I mean, and going down two cards in his like, it was essentially like a seven card hand against his opponent's four card. Who cares, man? And that's You're still up. And that's actually still just a two for two because the tinker requires a sacrifice yeah. of an artifact. So it's like he it's not even like he's, to it. he's not even losing card advantage. Yeah, wow. it's crazy. Like it was just shame on you, David Ochoa. Crazy play. And then I don't know. And it's just like frustrating because he tries to defend it, and he's like, "Well, you know, the chances are, you know, I'm going to be able to deal with it." So I still oh, think the, it's a, the chances a good are value. he's playing Tinker for something good, like an Inkwell Leviathan or a yeah, Sphere or a Sundering Titan that doesn't really care if you have removal for it after it enters the battlefield. Right, and the big thing is, is like a card like Inkwell Leviathan, no one else in the entire draft is taking that card. Yeah, exactly. So if it if it gets opened, it's going to be in this deck. Yeah, like it's, it's just going to be. It's legitimately, the only reason <laughs> it's you in, have... the, in the cube is because it's a Tinker target. <laughs> Yeah, and you have Islands out, so guess what he's going to get? Yeah. Like, oh, man. It just killed me. Yeah, I forgot I just, it has Island Walk, too. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's, he's just, he was just dead in three turns. Yeah. He was like, well, I have a Wrath in this deck, so hopefully I draw that. The thing is, is he's he's a good enough player to learn from that mistake, you know? Man, you'd think so, but boy, just watch his cube drafts. He never learns. <laughs>
He really doesn't. It's really, cube it's really is, weird. Cube is one of those weird formats, though, where even the best players can have a hard time with it because it is so different than every other type of magic. Like, it's different than constructed. It's different than regular draft. It's like yeah. some. It, it occupies some weird nebulous zone between the two that isn't quite enough, like, either to make, like, if you're good at one of those things, constructed magic or, like, normal limited, it doesn't mean you're going to be good at cube. Like, it really is, like, a whole new skill you have to learn. Um and I mean, I learned that lesson. I was really bad at cube for the first year, and I'm still not that good at it. What I draft is tends to be pretty straightforward. Like I can't draft these decks that like Ryan goes deep on, or even the deck that Spencer drafted. Like you heard me like complaining about it. It's like I don't like these picks. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but I mean, but it, I it's it serves don't a purpose. Like them, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think Spencer's deck is viable though, and no, totally. I, mean, I I just saying it's not for me, and and I I have I struggle with that when it comes to cube. So it doesn't surprise me to hear that these other very good players can make some incorrect decisions in the format as well. Let's let's wrap things up, Jeff. All right, all right. This has been an awesome fucking marathon session. It's it's been good talking to you, buddy. It's been too long. I know, uh, but yeah. So this has been East West Draftcast. Yeah, if you would like to talk to us. Yeah, eastwestdraftcast at gmail.com. We have all the answers. <laughs> um, although I haven't checked that email in a little while. I assume you have. Yeah, I check it. Okay, good. Um, but uh, yeah, eastwestdraftcast.com is where you can download the episodes or sometimes we have other things. Oh, we didn't even mention streaming um, is sometimes happening now. Yeah, I've done it a couple times. Uh, one time Ryan and I, or actually both times Ryan and I uh, co-piloted uh, a stream. And I'll, I forgot to, now that you mentioned it, I realized I forgot to post the second one to the site. Um, but you can find that uh, twitch.tv backslash EWDraftCast. We're on there. Or it might just be twitch.tv backslash EastWestDraftCast. Try them both, see what happens. <laughs> Figure it Flip out, Flip a guys. coin, you know. Come get on. your crooks. Don't, get don't, your crooks don't make us do all the work for you. Yeah. Um, Live a little. But yeah, I'm going to try to do one of those with Ryan some of these days. We want to do something really silly. Um, and so I'll, uh, I don't know, maybe tweet it out when we end up deciding to do it. Maybe Greg will retweet it for me. Speaking of Twitter. Uh, I'm at JeffEWDC. I'm at EWDraftCast. I've been thinking about getting the Greg EWDC and then leaving the EWDraftCast just for like the show alone to kind of, I don't know, make people... Th- know who they're talking to on Twitter, but no one ever talks to me on there. So like, it's not that big of a deal. I think I'm just going to leave it the way it is. EW draft on Twitter. So hit me up. Yeah. I'm, I'm really bored. I, I want to talk to somebody. Yeah. I mean, and if you want to contact me through that, I know a guy who can, who can get in contact with me. If you contact through that one. And obviously you, you all want to contact me through Twitter, right? Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, what do we got? We got another fa- we got a Facebook. We're we're like all up in this social media crap. Yeah, come on. No one talks to us on there either. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I hope uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that we actually podcasted. And if so, it would be great to just get any feedback to know that we're not just talking to ourselves. But even if we were, we'd probably still do this every so often. I would still do it. I need I need some Jeff in my life. Yeah, it's it's nice. Um but hopefully I'm moving back soonish. That's what I hear. I hear there we'll there see. are rumors. It's very possible this podcast will be West West Draftcast in the future. But we'll see. <clears throat> All right, man. Well, it's been fun and uh listeners, thank you. We'll we'll catch you next time.
Draftcast. Very somber. I almost forgot our, my catchphrase. <laughs> I was almost like, laters. <laughs> laters. Like, no, oh, that's not what I say. What do I say? <laughs> Jesus, it's been too long. You might as well just say it again. I'm going to keep all of this. Now I can't be what you need